Breeders' Cup Saturday Preview Show Part 1. Yes, we have to break it down into two different parts for the Breeders' Cup Preview Show for Saturday. Hope everyone's having a nice week as we get ready for Saturday. If you're listening to this before the Friday Breeders' Cup races, we have a separate show for the Friday Breeders' Cup races, and we're going to be splitting the Breeders' Cup Saturday into two separate shows. We have different guests joining us for each race, and uh, it will go as follows on this particular episode. We'll start in race number three for Saturday, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint with David Aragona from DRF, Timeform US, the uh, Morning Line Odds Maker over in the NYRA. Then we get to race four, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint with Chris Larmy, contest player, the Sport of Kings podcast. Chris is a very sharp handicapper. We get to the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, race number five with Ryan Dickey. Ryan is a horse player, very sharp gambler, uh, owner, and Ryan helps us handicap the Dirt Mile. Philly and Mare Turf, race number six. With John Moosis, I used to work with John over at TVG. He was a producer and a researcher. He's excellent when it comes to the international and European runners. He helps us out with the Philly and Mare turf. Then we dive into the Breeders' Cup Sprint, race number seven on Saturday. With Craig Milkowski from Time Forum US. You've heard Craig on this show many, many times. He helps us dive into the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Then we get to the Breeders' Cup Mile on the turf. We're talking with Caleb Knight from On the Wrong Lead. We get into that field horse by horse with Caleb. The final guest on this episode will be our first look at the Breeders' Cup Distaff. We actually have two different conversations about the Distaff and about the Classic. So for the big races, we have a bunch of different opinions for you. Emily Gullickson from Optics EQ, she helps us out with the Distaff. So Emily will close out this episode helping us out with race number 9 for Saturday with the Breeders' Cup Distaff. So on this episode, one more time, Philly and Mare Sprint with David Aragona, Turf Sprint with Chris Larmy, Dirt Mile with Ryan Dickey, Philly and Mare Turf with John Moosis, Sprint with Craig Milkowski, Mile with Caleb Knight, and the Breeders' Cup Distaff with Emily Gullickson. On this episode of That's What G Said, that is presented by Better Than Dot Vegas at BTV Bets on Twitter. Go give them a follow. If you're a fan of sports and horse racing, this will be a really good follow for you. A bunch of free preview shows, free analysis from all these handicappers and gamblers from all around the world. I host a lot of shows over on the BTV network and on their uh, live streams. So give them a follow at BTV Bets. And anytime we go live over there, you'll be alerted. I help preview a lot of the football games on Sundays, the college football games. We have a preview show on Friday evening that goes over some of the biggest games on Saturday. And then uh, also horse racing, if you're a fan of harness racing, twice a week there's harness racing previews for the Woodbine Mohawk races. Give them a follow. You'll love the content over there at BTV Bets. And while you're getting prepped for the big Breeders' Cup races, you got to get over to DRF.com. I'm always talking about daily racing form because for me, formulator past performances are the key to my handicapping. Any track I'm looking at any day, I start with formulator past performances. makes it so easy and convenient for my handicapping. There are three different Breeders' Cup packages that you can purchase. The Players Package, the VIP Package, or the Timeform US Package. All of them have slightly different perks and uh, different features or tools that you may use or you may want a little bit more in your handicapping. So get to drf.com for all of your handicapping needs heading into Breeders' Cup weekend. 
Let's dive into race number three, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Sprint. It's the first of the Breeders' Cup races on Saturday. David Aragona joins us to talk about the field for race number three. Time to dive into the Saturday Breeders' Cup races. We kick things off with the Philly and Mare Sprint in race number three. And joining me to discuss this race is a gentleman who's been on this show many times before talking about New York races, helping us out before with Breeders' Cup and uh, big Kentucky Derby type days. The man who makes the morning line for New York racing tracks, daily racing form handicapper, Time Form US podcast host, David Aragona. David, how you doing, buddy? Doing pretty well. Uh, happy to join you and discuss one of the more wide open Breeders' Cup races yes. this weekend. Absolutely. We have a, a very contentious field. Lukewarm morning line favorite in here, about three to one. Probably a couple horses that'll be in that like seven to two ish, four to one ish range. We have last year's winner uh, with CC, who comes in off of a, a win in a, a recent prep. Kind of threw in a clunker when she was out in New York at Saratoga in the ballerina, but definitely a, a major player in here. And then, you know, to the outside, a, a fun filly like Echo Zulu, who was able to cut back to seven furlongs and get a nice prep in there. Who are, uh, who are you know, to you, who's the horse to beat in here? Who Who's, you know, the horse that you definitely are looking at as, uh, you know, one or two of the top horses in here? It's a really tough question to answer. There, it's it's yeah, hard right? to find the center to this race. I guess the horse that you have to be most afraid of just based off her last race is Goodnight Olive, who is that lukewarm morning line favorite. And I get it. I mean, if I had made a morning line for this race, it probably would have looked very similar. Uh, if she repeats her ballerina from last time, going the same seven furlong distance, she's supposed to be pretty tough in here. What I'll say about that ballerina, though, is she really had everything go her way that day. She was yep. drawn perfectly on the outside in a much smaller field than this. There were some speeds in there that set up for her to track. And horses that were racing towards the inside that day at Saratoga, and even just generally during the meet at Saratoga, a few of them seemed to react pretty badly to the kickback. And this was one of the days that the main track seemed particularly loose and horses that were racing towards the back of the pack, trying to run through it, just seemed to really have problems with it. Good night, Olive. She was clear of all of that, just stalking three wide the entire way. And she ran really well to win that race decisively, but I would be willing to take a second look at some of those that finished behind her. CC is one you mentioned who probably didn't get the best trip that day. I still question whether she's the same CC that won this race last year. I agree. She, yeah. she surprised me in the past, but it just feels like her races this year are maybe a cup below what we've seen from her in past years. And in, in a field like this feel big field, 13 horses drawn. Um, you expect there to be a pretty honest pace and there looks like there's a good amount of speed in here with you no know, echo Zulu to the outside. Hot peppers is going to want to go. Lady rocket is pretty quick. Imagine Edgeway is going to be forwardly placed and, and not too far out of it. You have a couple other pressers. It, it feels like there should be a, a pretty decent amount of pace in here, right? 
It definitely feels that way. I was looking at the time form best pace projector for this race, and we've got Hot Peppers on the front end over Slammed, who seems like she's got to go from her inside Absolutely. post position. That draw forces her, right? Yeah, totally. And even the yeah, Edgeway, you, you mentioned, she's drawn inside as well. So it feels like it's got to be a contested pace. And another thing that I noticed about Goodnight Olive is she's shown all the way back in sixth place on the pace projector, a ways behind that early leader, Hot Peppers. And that would be an unfamiliar position for her. Maybe Great they'll try point. to be more aggressive and stay out in the clear like last time. But I think it's going to be a little more difficult for her to pull that same kind of trip. So I know that I want to look at some horses that can come from off the pace in here. Yeah, and that's a great point because what we see in these bigger Breeders' Cup fields or on the bigger prep days, when you have these horses that get those really cozy trips like Goodnight Olive did, now that doesn't mean she can't win four or five lengths behind, right? But at a shorter price, you want to kind of make her prove it to you in a contentious race. When I, I love that point that you were making because we haven't really seen her come from four or five lengths off of it. And that may be where she is early in this race. Totally. And she's got all the trappings of a horse that's going to be a little bit over bet with the win streak, these impressive blowout victories going out for a hot barn. I'm not saying that she can't win the race. I just didn't really view her as one that would offer sufficient value. And another horse coming out of the ballerina that I find pretty interesting is the number seven obligatory. Yep. Yep. I know she finished third that day, beaten uh, just over four lengths by Goodnight Olive. But I'd make the argument that she ran nearly as well as the winner because yes. she was towards the back of the pack, taking all of that kickback in her face. She had to alter course pretty severely at the top of the stretch when she was angling out around another rival, and she was finishing best of all at the end of that race. And that was when she had already built up her momentum to go, right? And then that horse in front of her shifts out, and she just basically had to kind of stop and, like, start her gear over again. If if she was rolling with all that momentum built up, I think it would have been a, a lot different finish there. Totally. And I mean, the drawback to obligatory is that she is so dependent on pace, but it feels like this is the kind of race where she's going to get the kind of setup that she needs, basically like she did when she won that Derby City Distaff going back to May of this year. So if she can work out the right kind of trip, because I mean, she is probably going to be last early and it's easier said than done to pick your way through a 13 horse field to get that right kind of trip to win a race like this. But she just feels like one that is going to get the setup she needs. And I think on her best day, she's as good as anybody else in this field yeah I, I agree on that uh, a couple others in here that i want to mention sort of in like that next tier of prices you have echo zulu who is very very honest and you know just seemed like the kentucky oaks is a little far for her she's won every other race she was so good early on at two and this is probably her game now sprinting but it is a, a very very you know big field with a lot of speed signed on then the other was frank's rocket who's so honest but she kind of feels like seven furlongs has just always been a little farther than what she wants. She got a nice prep win over at Charlestown against a softer field to sort of prove that she can get that. But that's a little different layout at Charlestown. Either of those horses on your radar at all or will they sneak into some of your exotics? Yeah, I can see the case for both of those runners. Echo Zulu is a tougher call for me because she does need to improve, but you can make the argument that she does have upside second off the layoff year, just making the fourth start of her three-year-old season. Uh, she she's never really moved forward off that two-year-old form and she's hinted at doing it a couple of times. I thought she ran really well in that Kentucky Oaks in defeat. And then last time out, she won pretty easily and she pulled away from this field looking kind of like the old Echo Zulu, but obviously not beating the kind of field that she's meeting here. She's got to get a little faster and given reputation, I wouldn't be surprised if she also takes some money in this race. I also get the case for Frank's Roquette. I mean, I can't say that I've ever been her biggest fan and they've campaigned her like they don't 
don't quite think she's this good because they've run her in some lower spots throughout the year, but they almost can't stop her from running in this race because she's earned the kind of speed figures that say she fits squarely with everybody else. I still don't quite trust her, but I wouldn't be surprised if she outruns her odds in here. No, she, she was five to one in the Breeders' Cup sprint in 2020, you know, against the boys. She was like, you know, she took a ton of money then. Um, I, I agree. She's really talented. She always just kind of does a little bit more than I expect, but it, I don't know if I love her in this spot, but she's just so really hard to knock. We saw Japan have some success in the Breeders' Cup last year. Would a horse like Chain of Love, you know, figure into any of your exotics in here? Yeah, I'm glad you're breaking up this horse because I think she's a lot more interesting than some people are giving her credit for in this race. Uh, If you're considering a horse like Obligatory, I think you're supposed to take a long look at Chain of Love as well at potentially a much bigger price. Because if you go back to both of her races against males in Saudi Arabia and Dubai earlier this season, I thought she ran pretty well on both occasions, definitely better in Dubai when it's a little hard to see on the replay given the camera angles, but she was in a really tight spot all the way around the far turn. Her jockey was just trying to force her through a hole that wasn't really there. And she stayed on pretty gamely after. After that, yeah, she, she finished a couple a, lengths. Yeah, totally. And she finished in a photo with Dr. Scheibel that day. Not that he's among the best U.S. sprinters, but I mean, he'd certainly be a contender against a lot of the Phillies in this he was race. Like your third choice in the Breeders' Cup sprint last year, you know, totally. And if you can find a replay of Chain of Love's last race uh, from Chukyo in Japan, it's really impressive. She was far back at the top of the stretch, made this big late run to get up. They don't really run graded stakes for the dirt sprinters in Japan, but the listed stakes there come up pretty tough at that level. And she's going to be running on late. And she seems more like the Marshall Lorraine type that's not really getting taken seriously as a contender in this race. And I think she deserves to be. I agree. She's going to be in some of my exotics also. Um, David, uh, anyone else in here that was worth mentioning that you're going to be using either on top, under, taking a shot against, anything else you want to hit on? I think we covered most of the main contenders yeah, in here. I, I mean, I, I I know that there was some talk that maybe Kamari would run in this race, but Wesley Ward instead went to the sprint. Uh, she obviously would have been tough, but I think her absence makes this a much better wagering race. Yeah, the only one, I guess, is Wicked Halo, who, you know, she's a very nice three-year-old filly, and she's in excellent form. She's won four in a row, but... This is going to be now facing older. She doesn't have the greatest of draws. I, I, and she's going to have to step up. I'm, I'm probably against her. She's very, very nice, and she's in great form right now. This would be a tough ask for her, though. Yeah, I'd prefer Echo Zulu from the Steve Aspison barn for the same connections. Uh, she's just, as you said, moving up against a much tougher field. David, uh, big week. I know you do stuff for DRF, Timeform US, NYRA. Tell us what kind of uh, content will you have out there this week and uh, where can we find up some more information if we want to see who you like in some of the other races? Yeah, a lot of Breeders' Cup content as always. Uh, earlier today, I just recorded a podcast, uh, the Timeform US forecast with my co-host Craig Mulkowski, who makes the Timeform US speed figures. We went over all the Breeders' Cup races, uh, you know, through some different angles. We looked at pace situations in the Timeform US pace projector, talked about some favorites we might be trying to beat. Uh, we also gave out a few long shot uh, potential ideas. So you can look for that on the Daily Racing Form YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, that's the Timeform US forecast. For DRF, I'll also be doing some betting strategies with my colleague, Marcus Hirsch. We'll be writing up analysis of all the races, uh, put, crafting some wagers together, multi-race tickets and intra-race wagers. Uh, so you can look for that and more information about that on DRF.com. David, it's always such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much. Uh, you are 
one of the handicappers out there that if I haven't looked at the races very much or if I need a little help in a race, I will always I'm fine blindly following you because I one thing I know you're not always going to be right. Nobody is. But you always put in the work. And that's what I, I love looking for other handicappers to listen to, to learn from. Uh, you're a, a fantastic handicapper. You do a great job making the morning line. And uh, please continue to give uh, Craig Mokowski a hard time anytime you can. <laughs> well, I, I really appreciate that. Thanks for having me on. And good luck, everybody, at the Breeders' Cup. That's David Aragona, a great handicapper and a fantastic ambassador for the sport of racing. Make sure to give him a follow there and uh, check out all the great content he has this week. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll move on to race number four on the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. A big thank you to David for helping us out with the Philly and Mare Sprint. And uh, I'm with David. I like the seven uh, obligatory. I think if you can get like six to one and above on obligatory, that's a very fair price. Good night, Olive is, you know, she's going to be honest. She's going to be tough. She shows up with a good effort almost uh, always. I think Chain of Love is a really intriguing horse. I will be using her in some spots. So sevens on uh, uh, all my tickets. That's my top selection there. The six chains of Chain of Love on a lot of tickets for me. Probably some uses of Goodnight Olive and even the thirteen um, Echo Zulu. I would give a, a look to in here and give her a little bit of a shot. I'm not exactly sure what to do with CC. So I guess I'll kind of let price dictate it. But obligatory, to me, is the horse uh, that I'll be looking at. Anything around 6 to 1 plus. Big thanks to David for helping us out. And as we uh, get set to transition to the next Breeders' Cup race, we first have to talk about one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast. If you're listening to this and you need any help in the world of real estate, contact our friend Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com. That's her website, CindyCarava.com. Name probably sounds familiar. Uh, she's the wife of uh, former trainer Jack Carava, who's now uh, a jocks agent out here in Southern California. And Cindy is one of the kindest and most genuine people you will ever meet. She truly wants to help you. And as a full-service realtor, she can do that if buying, with selling, with leasing, she can just connect you to the right type of people if you need help with home improvement. You know, gardeners, landscapers, painters, all sorts of really talented folks that she has experience with and that she's worked with. Maybe you need help with a home loan. She'll connect you with the right type of lenders that will help make that process much easier for you. Even if you're just curious of your uh, your market value, she'll do a free analysis for you. Contact her with any questions. She uh, works a lot here in Southern California in the San Gabriel Valley, North San Diego County also knows that area very well. But if you're in an area where you just are having a tough time with uh, anything in real estate, she will contact someone that she knows, that she trusts, that will really help you out. That's an expert in that area. CindyCarava.com, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. We move to race number four. Up next, it's the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. Chris Larmy from the Sport of Kings podcast joins me, and uh, we're going to try to beat Golden Pal. Golden Pal will be favored in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. So there's a spoiler for you. A little bit of a teaser, but more of a spoiler. Kick back and enjoy as Chris and I talk through the field and see if we can find a couple horses that may be able to defeat Golden Pal. We continue along the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. It's time to talk race four on Saturday at Keeneland, the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. And this gentleman is one of the sharpest handicappers that I know. He's a really good contest player. 
He loves to try to find value in racing in any way that you can Try to find a way to beat some vulnerable favorites if possible And this was a, a great race to discuss with Chris Larmy Because I know we're both going to be doing our best to try to beat Golden Pal Who will probably be a very popular single in a lot of exotics And a horse that... Um, and he's won the Breeders' Cup two times so far A Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf Sprint And then the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint last year at Del Mar Chris Larmy joins me to talk about the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint this year Chris, buddy, how's it going? Great, thanks for inviting me on Looking forward to uh, talking about this race I think it's pretty interesting And we're talking early in the week on Tuesday So for everyone who's listening, if anything changes between now and then Chris is traveling to the Breeders' Cup on Wednesday You're going to be playing in the uh, the tournament this week, right? Yes, in the Breeders' Cup Betting Challenge. So I'm digging into all the races, trying to figure out um, where I want to put my opinion to work and hopefully cash a few tickets. And who knows, maybe get lucky and win the contest. Well, uh, I know that if it's uh, if you're seeing it well, you play the way that someone can win a contest. You take chances, you take swings. Big days like this, that's what it's all about, is taking a stand and uh, and just trying to find some value. Let's do that. In the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint, and the conversation has to start in this race with Golden Pal, Chris, because he's your, your morning line favorite. He's very fast. He rarely gets headed. There was one time this year where he actually didn't break very well, and he had to sit off the pace just a little bit, but he's usually right on the front end, and he's very, very fast. He's very, very quick. He's tough to knock. He's 4 for 4 at Keeneland. I do feel like this group will include... Some of the best horses that he's probably ever faced though uh, And and there are some, I think, legitimate sprinters in here That shipped over for this race Yeah, this is his best field he's faced in the United States Yeah, um, yeah, that's a better way of putting it, right? The fields he's faced over out, outside of the U.S. Like in the, the King stand, that's a good field And he got, you know, an ascot and he got trounced But totally agree In the U.S., this is his toughest test Yeah, and he's a deserving favorite I mean, he's never lost in the U.S. And like you said, he's going for a third Breeders' Cup victory. And his trainer has been sort of the king of turf sprints for a while now, all over the world, actually, in Wesley Ward. So, you know, he's legit. And his biggest weapon is the way he pops from the gate. I don't think he's quite as quick, though, this year as he was last year. He did break better in his last race, so that was promising for his backers. But, you know, I do agree that He's going to be tested, and like you said, not only are there a few local horses that could test him, but there's one in particular from the you know from Europe that has real credentials that would give her a chance in here. So I think he's he's up against it a bit, and he may we might be able to beat him. And that's the way I'm going to play it. I uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I think if you're playing against Golden Pal. There are some very logical alternatives if you want to go in a different direction. The horse that may be the the next shortest price, but will still probably be in the three to one ish range, uh, might be high fi- uh, high field princess who comes into this race off of three consecutive Group One wins sprinting. This is a legitimate horse who has a very very nice resume. This is a twelve time winner who's earned over a million dollars and. Um, this horse has been tested This horse is seasoned And I mean I think a very very legitimate Contender in this race Highfield uh, Princess who was right on the lead Last time out the only concern I have With some of these horses who have been On the lead overseas What kind of trip will they Get here if they're maybe four or five Lengths behind Golden Pal If they're used to sitting really close 
in paces that aren't quite this fast. That's my concern, but from credentials, she is really, really classy. Yeah, it's interesting. She's a five-year-old mare, and she's always been good, but she's gotten really, really good here recently. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, her last few races have been very impressive. And a couple of things she has going for her that a lot of the Euro sprinters don't is she has had a long career, and she's had experience going around turns, even a left-handed turn, so that's not as much of a consideration. In terms of the you know the speed, she's very quick, and she's very good out of the gate. I mean, she pops the gate pretty much, at least recently. She's been popping out really well. So, And then, you know, she's got speed. She's a good gate horse. She's been around a turn, and she finishes off her races really nicely. So I think she can kind of keep up with Arrest Me Red. I mean, with, uh, not Arrest Me Red. With, with Golden, Golden Pal. Pal um, and because, um, you know, she is good out of the gate. She is quick. So I I do think that she might be able to, to put some pressure on him, especially if he doesn't, you know, break the way he did last year in the Breeders' Cup. If he breaks and, like that, he probably will win. But Yeah, it, but if I agree with you, and he and she, what's nice about her is she can stay close enough. The, the August 19th race at York was the one that I liked because it showed – she was sitting just behind the leaders. She tipped to the outside, and then when they pressed the button on her, she just turned foot like awesome, awesome. Yeah. And I think that might be the type of trip that she could get in here. So that was the one where like I, she's a must use for me, especially if you're trying to beat, you know, Golden Pal. I think she's very, very logical. But I'll definitely be using a couple others with her. But she was the one that did stand out, and and she makes sense. She'll probably be your second choice in here. Yeah, I think she'll be a strong second choice. Which is why, you know, I'm going to try to beat her, too, just because I think I think what I like about her in the race is I think she can put some pressure on Golden Pal. And maybe Uh, she's in chase mode. Right. And so I think that's going to be tough for her to beat Golden Pal, but she might soften him up a bit and enable a couple others to have a shot. That'll be much better prices. So that's probably the way I will go is try to um, get past those two. So you're looking at horses maybe that are going to be sitting more mid-pack or coming from off the pace to capitalize on that that type of trip? Yeah, not too far off because, you know, at this level, it's hard to close too much unless the, the race just melts down, especially with two quality front runners like we talked about. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a couple others in here that can sit not too far back and finish and might, you know, trip out um, if things go their way. Who uh who are a couple of those others that you're looking at or that you'll be using in uh you know pick fours pick fives any, anything that you're playing here so we're we're a little cold on the top two um who are you seeing that that may benefit and that might be like the right price at the right play and uh, the right pace scenario well I'm not even going to get outside of the Wesley Ward barn I think he has two horses in here both of whom are very nice turf sprinters <laughs> I agree yeah that could be you know upset the stable mate if you know things don't go his way and and one's kind of obvious i mean she won't be a a a short price but she won't be a big price and that's campanelli who you know she's never really run a bad race and and they've kind of tried her at some longer distances but if you watch her um like her last race especially at kentucky downs she just looked like she was loaded and ready to just blow by the horse, and she just cruised beside her, and then she just kind of hit, kind of got a little leg weary, I thought, late, but that was going farther at Kentucky Downs. I think the five-and-a-half furlong distance will really help her, and she, you know, Frankie DeTore will ride. She gets a little weight break from her, you know, Golden Pal, and 
she has that positional speed, so she shouldn't be too far out, but the ability to finish, and she's beaten quality horses before, so she's very logical, and you could get six or eight to one on her. To me, that's value um, for sure, but I think the big value in here is is her other, you know, the other, other Wesley, and that's Arrest Me Red, who, you know, he's been kind of under the radar, and he used to be more of like a standard Wesley Ward sprinter, sprinter you know, go to the lead, but they've been really trying to get him to sit off horses, and he's he's getting he's starting to get it. Uh, even in his most recent work, they started him like three or four lengths behind his workmate. Um, I think they're going to try to, you know, have a stock and pounce trip with him. And in his last race, uh, it wasn't a bad effort. It was a little disappointing as a favorite, but before that race, he just completely lost it. He was totally washed out. Um, I was, you know, watching, and I thought, all right, I'm going to. I'm going to beat this guy. He, this is no way this horse can win the way he looks for the race. So I played against him and beat him, but he ran much better than I thought he would mm-hmm. the way he looked. Um, so I'd keep an eye on that. But assuming he's not all, you know, he doesn't lose it before the race. Uh, that was just something about on the day because I, I, I looked at his prior races and I didn't see that. Uh, you know, he didn't look all washed out like that in his other races. So. Um, to me, he looks like he's prepped for a really big effort. You know, he's only a four-year-old. He has a lot of upside. Four-year-old Colts, you know, typically can improve quite a bit. And um, I think his best was surprisingly good. So if he's not all washy before the race, um, he could be, you know, the 15-to-1, 20-to-1 range. And I think he has a legitimate shot. There's a horse in here I wasn't quite sure what to do with. Um, and he'll he'll be a bit of a price. And that's the number 13, Casadero. This is a horse who was was good at two. Really early on in his two-year-old season sprinting, he was like the the early season buzz horse because he won his first couple races. He won the Bashford Manor, which is like the first graded stakes for two-year-olds really early on in the season. And then he just looked like one of those horses that was just kind of precocious and, and maybe a, a little bit above everyone else early. And he just didn't quite get back to some of those bigger races early on. And he was in the Asmussen barn. He threw in a couple decent races on the dirt at Churchill last year. And then he looks like he had some physical issues because he was gone from, he was off from like June of 2021 to January of 2022. And then he came back in January and he was off for eight more months. And they put him on the turf now twice. And his winning in the Arctic was actually really good. He beat a nice horse named Bound for Nowhere. I don't really know what to do with him because he's such a big price. Um, do you have any thoughts, positives, negatives, anything on Casadero? Yeah, I have actually been on him the last two times he's ran. On our Sport of Kings podcast, I picked him in both. And his is on the last two he ran this year on the turf. And the first one, he had a horrendous start, had no chance at all, and came flying late. And then in his second start, again, he didn't break real well, but he, he came flying late and just, you know, blew past them all. So, I, you know, I'm a fan. I like him. I don't like horses that don't break very well in turf sprints. Especially against these fast, fast horses like with, you know, a horse like Golden Pal, someone like that. If you don't break well, you're done. Like you, you're done. You may not be within four or five lengths. Like he sort of had, he was lucky last time out that they weren't going that quite fast enough to really outrun him, you know? Yeah, and it was, you know, going six furlongs at Woodbine with that long stretch. Much so, different than the five and a half with the short stretch at, at Keeneland. Very, very yes. good point. So I, I like him. Um, 
but more as if you were going to play a horse to get maybe third, maybe sure. get up to second. But I don't see how he gets a trip where he can just, unless it just completely melts down up front and, and, and you know, all the horses are backing up. It's a big ask for him to, um, you know, get past all of them. Same with that Casa Creed. He's a nice horse. Well, is he in this race? Yeah, yeah, he's the eleven in here too. We, yeah, I was glad yeah. we were just gonna I'm we were just gonna to get to him it. too. Yeah, because he was cross centered in both this yeah. and the mile. They weren't sure, and they ended up picking this race, which he might be one. Like if this was down the hill at Santa Anita, right? Like a six and a half or like a six furlong, maybe like we saw in the Jiper. If a sprint at Kentucky where the turf is a little bit. You know, it plays maybe to horses cutting back. I think that the five and a half is a little bit short for him. He's he's actually never been five and a half furlongs, Casa Creed. Not even one time in his career. Yeah, I think he and if this were at Santa Anita down the hill, he and Casadero would probably be the ones I'd be the most interested in. But mm-hmm. at five and a half at Keeneland, it just seems like things just would have to really go their way. From way out there to like... Yeah, I just I I like them as horses, but I just don't know if I like them in this spot at five and a half. And the the one horse who initially I was going to play probably a little bit more than I will now after the post position draw is the one. I don't you know, I, I liked creative force a little bit more, but I'm worried with the drawing the rail in this type of a field, if this horse is not really, really alert out of the gate. He's going to get stuck in some traffic and it will be a pretty tough trip for him down there. But I liked him as a horse. He's not far behind in some really, really big races. It again though, five and a half for him with the rail, kind of not not what I would have liked. He felt like he was the type of horse who may have needed, you know, things to go a little bit better for him. You have any thoughts on creative force or really anyone else in here that you're looking at using? Well, you know, I was really trying to like creative force because, uh, you know, a couple of things. First of all, it's Appleby Godolphin at the Breeders' Cup, and, you know, they've just been lights out. Um, so you've got to respect anything, and you know, with Buick riding and Appleby training and owned by Godolphin. That those are probably things that push the price down, but they certainly things you have to respect. But just his form, uh, you know, earlier this year, he actually beat Campanelli and Highland Princess at um, Ascot. So, you know, he's got a race ahead of horses that are probably going to be shorter prices than he is. Last year, he beat Space Blues, who won the Breeders' Cup Mile. Um, he beat Ken Ross, who will be one of the favorites this year. So he's got the quality. The thing I don't like about him is he, he seems like he probably runs better on softer going. He mm-hmm. might be one of these Euros who... I mean, it it won't be rock hard at Keeneland, but I'm not sure he's going to like the going and the draw. I don't like you said. I don't think helped him much, but I wouldn't be shocked if he runs well. I just couldn't, given that he's probably going to get bet some off the connections. I'm not sure there's a lot of value there, but you know he's a contender. I think. Yeah, the connections, uh, as you were mentioning, Charles Appleby in graded stakes races in North America, they've won with the. Uh, 17 of their last 36 47 percent uh $3.59 ROI for your two bucks they just they only come and show up with horses that are going to run big and ready to fire this is a a fantastic race in a huge field um who else haven't we mentioned or anyone else here worth uh worth discussing Chris we've got through a lot of this uh this field here I mean Braun is sharp 
He's he to me kind of feels like another one though. He was behind Arrest Me Red going five and a half earlier at Churchill this year in a big race on Derby weekend. But I would like him maybe a little more going longer. You know, I, I he feels a little bit better going six ish, but. I mean, again, that's what these Breeders' Cup races. A lot of these horses, they're in good form. You're not going to have knocks on them. It's just about, you know, stacking them. Who do you like a little bit more at the price? Yeah, I think he has better, you know, positional speed than like Casa Creed and Casadero. So I agree on that. He's in really good form. Uh, he's been training well. He's coming off a really nice race. And I like his rider. He's one of these riders who's kind of sneaky good on the turf. Um, so I. I, again, sort of. I think he he's going to have to improve again. And like, if I were going to say, who am I going to play? Arrest me, Red or or Brand? I would go with Arrest me, Red because I think he did beat him on the square, uh, you know, at the distance. And I think he's also going to run well. So, but I again, I think, do think he's a contender um, if he can get the right trip. Uh, and he's like- not going to have to come from the clouds like. Casadero and Casa Creed. No, I was kind of getting at that too. I think I like him more than the other two we were talking about that might be, um, you know, also the horses that would be a little bit better on the longer turf. But Braun, I prefer more than a than a Casa Creed or yeah, maybe even the uh, the, the the ten there. But Campanelle will be on uh, the bulk of my tickets. Um, not exactly, like I said, Casadero is the thirteen who I wasn't sure what to do with. He'll be, he'll at least be in the bottom of exotics for me. I'll probably include the six a little more uh, than you in um, in some rolling exotics, but for the most part, we're both trying to beat Golden Pal. And um, is there uh, anyone else in here, positive or negative, you wanted to mention, or anything else about the uh, the turf sprint? Um, no, I think we've hit the the rest. I think would all be a little bit of a surprise to me anyway. If me they too. Were to fire, but all the ones we mentioned. I think have a chance at least to hit the board. Some of them, I think, more likely to underneath and on top. And I think Golden Powell will have to earn this one. He could certainly do that. He's been really good. Um, and if he breaks, you know, like he did last year at the Breeders' Cup, was kind of amazing. He like opened up I know. Th- three or four lengths before the race. At, you know, it seemed like it didn't it even seem got real. Started. Yeah. I know. Yeah. If he does that again, he will. He will be tough. But remember, it's not five furlongs this year. It's five and a half. So. It's not over, you know, the real firm kind of going that we had out in California. So it is a little bit different race, and he's definitely got a a tougher field to beat this time. Race four on the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. It's the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. Million dollars up for grabs, five and a half furlongs. It's a fun one. A big, big field signed on. They're all going to have to beat Golden Pal, who's going for his third Breeders' Cup win. Chris, I know you'll be making the trip out to the Breeders' Cup and uh, talk to us about uh, what kind of content that you have. Uh, I, I saw you have a few different things going out there with the sport of King's Pod, right? Yeah, we actually already did one preview pod before the draw with Marcus Hirsch of DRF where we awesome. kind of went through every race, not horse by horse, but kind of outlined the, the horses we thought were the main contenders. Um, and then on Thursday, we are going to record two podcasts, one for the Friday card and one for the Saturday card. Uh, the Friday card, we're going to have Paul Matisse on um, to talk about those races, and the Saturday card will be his brother, Duke Matisse, both real sharp, sharp professional yes, players. Very. Uh, we had them on for the same pods last year. They had a lot of good you know, insight and opinions. So, we'll, you know, those will both drop 
Thursday afternoon, probably. Um, or and uh, that'll be it. In the meantime, I'll be handicapping and traveling and and uh, hopefully, you know, join. I, I hope to get out to the track on in the mornings and see some of these horses, you know, in the flesh. It's always fun. So I'm really looking forward to the trip. And it looks like the weather so far looks like it's going to really cooperate, which is is really good because you can get any kind of weather this time of year in Lexington. But it looks like we're going to get some beautiful fall weather, which is great. Well, fingers crossed on that. And we wish you the best of luck, Chris. You uh, you're always one of the uh, the first and the go-tos on uh, on these big shows. You've helped us out now for years. You're one of my favorite people to talk horse racing with ever since the Elite Racing Network days because I feel like we're always trying to make make the best out of every race, right? It's a puzzle. We're trying to find how can we make the most get the most value out of each and every race. Sometimes you just got to you know, you just got to chalk it up and say, "Okay, you know what? This might be not be the race to dive into." And then other times it, it's so fun to to find a vulnerable favorite to to you know take a swing against I love following along with uh, with your tweets And social media stuff you're always pointing out Really nice tidbits Good information you're also Very big on just trying to help the customers And the the fans out there play into the best Takeout pools and you know do all The little things that are good for horse players And that, that's why you and I get along really well I've always appreciated talking with you and uh, We just want to help the folks out there make as much Money as possible and, and share the info that We have Yes, and I, I, I appreciate everything that you do, and I've always enjoyed talking races with you, Gino. And, you know, this is just the greatest game there is. Um, as, you know, if, if, you, if you like handicapping puzzles, you know, you like trying to back your opinion with some money and, and maybe get rewarded, uh, I just don't see how you can beat it. It's the greatest game. It's so nice. So uh, safe travels for you this week. I hope you crush it at the Breeders' Cup. Good luck in the contest. Good luck in all your plays. And everyone, make sure to go follow along with Chris on Twitter at Derby1592 and subscribe to the Sport of Kings podcast. Check that out. They do a fantastic job over there. I've joined them a couple times. Uh, Scott Carson, very, very sharp. And they bring on some excellent guests. So you'll want to go listen into their uh, their discussion with Marcus Hirsch. On uh, on all the entries And then make sure to check out their podcast That they'll put out in the next few days for Breeders' Cup Chris, buddy, good luck this week And thanks so much for hanging out with us I look forward to chatting again with you real soon Thanks for having me on, bye-bye Chris Larmy there, very good handicapper A sharp contest player And an excellent ambassador for horse racing Make sure to give him a follow And if you see him out at Keeneland, wish him luck there Don't go anywhere, folks We'll continue on And we'll move to our next Breeders' Cup race on Saturday Let's see if we can beat Golden Pal in the Breeders' Cup Turf Sprint. He's so deserving, so honest, but this is a good group in here, and there are some really interesting horses shipping over, horses that are uh, definitely on my radar that I'm going to be playing. The number six, Highfield Princess. Um, I'll also be including the... Let's see, where are some of the others? I have my selections all written down in here. Okay, yeah, the nine I'm going to throw in in some spots. Uh, we talked with Chris about the seven, Arrest Me Red being very live. The eight, Campanelli. I thought both the other wards I prefer if you're looking just for more value in this race. You know, on deeper tickets, the the horses I didn't know what to do with where we kind of were talking about with Chris were Casa Creed, Casadero, and Creative Force. I think with the the rail draw, it will really hurt Creative Force. The other two, I can get talked into Casa Creed and, and Casadero in there. So, a fun race. We'll try to spread out, and we'll see if we can take a swing against Golden Pal. 
those of you listening to this race, you've probably heard about our friends over at Stable Duel, which is like fantasy horse racing games, horse racing daily contest. You build a lineup based on a salary cap format. So if you've ever played something like DraftKings or FanDuel where you build a lineup and you can't necessarily just use the uh, the top selection for every category, you can't pick the favorite in every single race. It forces you to handicap a little bit, to get outside the box, and you can play in the contest for free. Every week they have free games, free contests where they give out cash prizes. They have low entry games for a dollar, two dollars, three dollars, five dollars where you play for prizes, and then bigger entry games, um, sometimes huge games on big days, and every single day there are stable dual games. If you ever want to find out a little bit more, come join us on Friday mornings. Every Friday, uh, there will not be one this week with the Breeders' Cup Friday, but every Friday at 10 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, we have a show called This Weekend in Stable Duel. It's myself, Matt DeSantis, and Barry Spears, and we give you all the important information for that weekend Stable Duel contest for Friday and for Saturday, and then we dish out some best bets for Friday and for Saturday. We call it the No Chalk Zone because we don't even give out any horses that are 5-1 to one and under. We only give out 5-1, to one, 8, 10, 12, 15, 20-1 to one horses. We really want to help make you money. Horses that you can use in your Stable Duel lineups. Horses that you just... Get one of those in your pick four or pick fives. You're able to really make some money. Give Stable Duel a look. You can check out their website, StableDuel.com, or you can download their app for free. Download the Stable Duel app, and then you can get entered in contest in mon- in moments. Let's move to race number five on the Saturday card. Ryan Dickey now has joined us for a few years. It's always fun to catch up with Ryan and talk some races. We talk about the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile race number five for Saturday. I love these big Breeders' Cup shows because they're like a reunion for me. I get the chance to talk to some of my friends that I haven't spoke to in a while. And uh, one gentleman who joins me on all the uh, the Breeders' Cup shows are the Kentucky Derby shows to help preview big races. Ryan Dickey, handicapper, sharp, sharp gentleman. Uh, how you doing today, buddy? We're going to talk some Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. It's always nice to chat with you. Well, it's nice to chat with you, too. Thanks for having me. It's a beautiful day here in Sin City and uh, can't can't wait for the weekend. Big one coming up. And what a cool time just in sports overall right now. Because for most some people that aren't horse racing fans, the Breeders' Cup comes up. It's a big deal for us. But for guys like us who love racing, we also baseball, basketball, football, mm-hmm. hockey, college football, college basketball is starting. It's take your pick right now, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's just it's it's just a cornucopia of betting options out here. And uh, and Ryan is uh, is a big sports fan, and Ryan has helped us out and has done very well in helping us out in years past. So no pressure on you uh, again this year to <laughs> to deliver, my friend. But uh, let's dive into race number five on the Saturday card. We're going to talk about the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile here and. This is a, an intriguing race. We can talk about some of the the major players in this one, and I feel like uh, a horse who will take a bunch of money is Cody's Wish, who is really tough to knock. Uh, Cody's Wish, who is about a neck away from have, having won seven in a row. <laughs> He's won six of his last seven. The only time he got beat, it was by a neck in a, a graded stakes race on a good track at Tampa, and he just defeated the horse who's going to be favored in the Breeders' Cup Sprint in Jackie's Warrior, he's pretty honest. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a great story behind this horse as well. And the forego that he ran um, against Jackie's Warrior was just absolutely wonderful, except for the fact that I didn't have him because, like everybody else, I was singled to Jackie's Warrior. So there's a little bitterness here on, on my end. Uh, a little bad gonna, taste in the mouth, right? Yeah. Yes. So I'm going to try to beat him out of spite. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, it's funny. When anyone says spite, I always think of that se- that segment in Seinfeld. I'm returning this jacket out of spite. I don't know <laughs> if you can do that. Because she goes and asks the manager, he wants to return this out of spite. Uh, yeah. just, so uh, we're uh, we're looking at the uh, the dirt mile here. Who are some of the horses? If you're trying to beat the favorite, who are some of the ones that jumped out to you as uh, as major players or must use? Uh, number number two, simplification. Uh, I know it's uh, a- Antonio Sano is the uh, the trainer, and he he hasn't really gotten to the top yet. He's really tried. You know, he had a really good horse in Gun and Vera, and had Gun and Vera won that uh, Breeders' Cup at Churchill in 2018. Uh, I think I'd still be sitting on a stack of of, of bills, but uh, he didn't get it done. <laughs> this might be it. He might win the Breeders' Cup with simplification here. I think he's going to be. Um, a little overlooked in this in this field because you have you know Gunite who won at uh, Keeneland uh, what two weeks ago uh, for Asmussen I think he's a horse that people are going to uh, look at the number five here yep. and then you've got the Bob Baffert horse uh, Laurel River um, honestly I think Laurel River has the best chance to win um, so I, I think I'm gonna gonna go with Laurel River and then Cyberknife uh, with Brad Cox. You know, he's got a great resume. He's won some some big dances as a three-year-old this year. So those are the the horses that I really think um, stand the best chance of Cyber, Cyberknife, Laurel River, and Simplification. And what I like about Simplification and Cyberknife that you're mentioning is for both of those horses, they, they're getting a really nice cutback that yeah. should give them a little more punch, especially simplification, right? Because yes. you can understand why they were running in those bigger races. There aren't a whole lot of mile races like this throughout the year. You have to either go a little bit farther or a little bit shorter. And so you run for big money. He was never really disgraced. I mean, this is a horse who wins the Fountain of Youth. He's third in the in the Florida Derby. He's fourth in the Kentucky Derby. Um you know, he showed up in the biggest, biggest races. It felt like the preakness, he was maybe a little bit tired on the the quick turnaround. They give him a little time off. He runs in a couple, you know, in the West Virginia Derby and then the Pennsylvania Derby. Like he's fourth behind Tyba, Zandin, and Cyberknife, who might just be a little bit better than him going longer. There's a lot of things to look at with simplification. It's going to be his third start of the form cycle. Now he cuts back. He's a really fun horse to throw in, and he's going to be a nice price. Yeah, I think so. I went back and I watched both of the uh, dirt miles at Keeneland. You know, this is going to be the third Breeders' Cup at Keeneland. And I watched the 2020 race with Nick's Go. And I watched the 2015 uh, race with Liam's Map. You're going to want to be near the inside here because the turn is so, so close to the starting gate. Mm-hmm. And and you want you want to be inside and you want to be able to have speed. You don't have to be a need the need the lead type of horse to, to win this race. But you have to be up near the front. And I think simplification fits that bill. Um, he he can be and obviously he's going to be inside, but he he can be near the lead, and I think that's another reason why Laurel River might be um, formidable here. Is uh, although he's in the middle of the of the pack and and the six, I think he's one of those horses that the mile's not going to be a problem for him, and he can stay up front. And I just think it's going to be kind of a boat race this year, like it has been in the past, where there's going to be two or three horses near the front, and those two or three horses are going to win because it's only a mile. Mm-hmm. And 
I I completely agree with your assessment of basically like if we're talking about the three horses in this race who I think are going to take the most money, it's probably Gunite, Cody's Wish, and Laurel River. Those yep. will probably be your those will probably be your top three betting choices, I would right. imagine. And I'm with you. I like Laurel River the best of the three of them. Yeah, of, of those three for sure because Gunite, he you you're he's wheeling back quickly. I just don't know if a mile is really his best. I think he might be better going a little shorter, going like from six to seven. And then for Cody's wish, like you said, he's really honest. I think he may be one who's not quite as fast as his other major, as the other major players in here. So he may be be spotting a horse like Laurel River at least a couple lengths in this field. Sure, I, and I, I I really don't see any horse that has a style. Um, not, not really closers. Obviously we're not going to have any closers, but I don't think that we have any horses here that, that can, can start, uh, seven, eight lengths back, uh, early and, and, and then make up that ground. I mean, I think it's going to be really tough. If you look at the, um, track records at Keeneland, every time they run this, uh, dirt mile on the Breeders' Cup weekend, the winner had a new track record. Lena's uh, <laughs> Matt had a new track record. Nick's go had a new track record. If there's no rain between now and Saturday, this is going to be a fast, fast, fast track, and I just don't see anybody closing into uh, in, in, into a big lead. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The the horse that I would use that I might use underneath um, that if if there is some someone to maybe close from the back, I don't know if I can use him on top, but I'll probably throw him into a few. Is Senior Buscador, who I'm I'm sort of warming back up to. You know, he was behind Laurel River in that race on August the 27th down at Del Mar. And if you watch the race, what ended up happening was Senior Buscador had to go really, really wide, and Laurel River uh, got a nice trip in between. Senior Buscador wasn't ever going to win the race, but it was mm-hmm. sort of a tale of two trips where one horse got a nice trip in between. Senior Buscador had to go wide, and then he came back and won the Ak Ak. And I like that he. He wasn't way, way out of it in the ACAC. He showed he can sit about four or five lengths out. That's my worry with him, but I completely agree with you. I don't, I wouldn't want horses that are going to be coming from way, way out of it in here. I, I would right. want those pressers and the, the horses sitting pretty close. And, uh, and yeah, I think we, we, it seems like we both feel like Laurel River is kind of the horse to beat. Mm-hmm. And then there may be some other fun horses to include that may be the horses to bet along with him. Sure, and, and if we can get simplification to either win the race or, or come in second and have Senior Buscador come in and, and finish third, this trifecta will, will be something. I looked at the trifecta's uh, payouts for this race over the last couple of years, and last year we had Life is Good won, and he was obviously a big favorite. The The 50-cent trifecta paid $33.75, and then back when Liam's map won it, it was uh, only $10.20. But the other years, they all paid over $122.00. Um, sometimes we had, you know, you know, Nick's go one, one year spun to one run one, one year city of light. So we've had some horses that, that were decent favorites, but the trifecta is paid well. So if you can just find that third horse, if you can just find the horse that comes in third, uh, to, to fill out that trifecta at a price, you're going to, you're going to make some money. One that I have to at least mention for uh, my buddies Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis because we love this horse. He's one of our personal favorites, Law Professor. Um, he may be one of those horses that we're just talking about. If you're looking to fill out the bottom of exotics with a price, he actually might be getting the trip that we're looking for, right? He actually he took it to life is good. He gave life is good everything he could handle on a sloppy track last time. Now he cuts back to a mile on the dirt. He may be okay. 
here at a mile And actually when you look back at Santa Anita There was a race called the, the Mathis Brothers Mile That was supposed to be on the turf and it was taken off And he won that race on the dirt He beat a horse named Beyond Brilliant Who's actually very very nice and is running in a, a Breeders' Cup race later on the card So maybe at a big price He could be a horse that completes your Your try or your super if you're playing It like that because he sits a good trip He's going to be a big price and um and yeah, maybe he kind of falls into the the trip we're looking for, where he doesn't have to be way way out of it, but he's not going to be on the lead, and he can just sort of pass a couple tired horses. Yeah, I'm looking at his time form numbers, and if you look at his last race under trainer uh, Michael McCarthy, he he garnered an 82 um, time form number, and then he went to Rob Atris, and Rob Atris had him go from 82 to 121, uh, and then 124 last out. So so Rob Atris is. He's, he's making horses better somehow. So, yeah, I, I think that is actually a, a, a good point. Maybe Law Professor uh, is, is on the uh, come up here. Ryan, uh, what was awesome about talking with this, the, talking this race with you this year, not only were you prepared to talk about all the individual horses and handicapping them, but you were giving us stuff about the past Breeders' Cup dirt miles and the payouts and the way those races played out. Just fantastic information from you, buddy. I really appreciate it. And uh, I know that you've got uh, some important stuff going on right now. I know there was something that I wanted to uh, to talk about with you too about it, uh, an organization. Um, talk to us more about the Kentucky Equine Adoption Center. Uh, yes. So um, I've worn a lot of different hats in the horse racing industry over the last oh eight years, and uh, one of my favorites so far has been owner. And I had never owned a racehorse um, from the time they were born until the time they hit the track. And unfortunately, it's still the case. Uh, we had, and when I say we, I mean my, my partner, Alexa Zepp and Dylan. Uh, we had a two-year-old Bucaro uh, filly who we, we bought her mother when she was uh, still in full to, to the filly. And so we had her for two years and we... We sent her to uh, Eric Reed to get pre, you know, broke and, and pre-trained. And then we sent her to uh, Churchill Downs for Tim Glyshaw to train. And she worked out and worked out and worked out and she was okay. And then on her very first, um, her very first workout, she destroyed her right front knee. I mean, oh. like just completely destroyed it. And uh, we had to make a choice of, you know, whether she was going to survive or not survive because the injury was so bad. The surgeon told us that it looked like her knee was hit by lightning. Oh. So that's terrible. That's something you never want to hear. So we got a couple of op- opinions from some people and we decided to do um, some life saving surgery for her. the plan all along was we were going to race her and then we were going to keep her and we were going to have her as a broodmare because we liked her pedigree, you know, um, it was something that we had big long plans for and it ended in an instant. And oh, that's, that's so what happens. That's I what know. happens in this game. And, and, and it's, it's terrible. And I, and I, I've known about this, you know, I've known, I've known that this is a possibility for years and years and years and years and for it to actually happen when I had so much hope, uh, you know, I, I pinned so much hope uh, on this Philly and it was just heartbreaking. And, um, oh, I'm getting choked up a little bit. I know actually. it's sad. <laughs> I am too. It's just, you, you know, you, it, you, it's it's a kid. You don't think you're you don't realize how much you're yeah. going to care, right? Until yeah. until you're. It's it's not a money thing either. It's yeah. just an, it's a time. It's a it's an investment with your. It's like a family member, you know. Yeah. Um. I love this little filly, and so we obviously you know we all live far away from Kentucky. She's in Kentucky, and the plan, the the backup plan that we had was we were sending her to new vocations, 
and uh, you know maybe give her a, a second career. But her injuries were so bad um, that New Vocations couldn't, under good conscience, take her and send her to like you know be a show horse or jumper horse or whatever. Sure. Um, because of because of her you know her X rays and everything like that. So the surgery was a success. She survived. She's happy and everything. And so our plan C ended up, we went to Kentucky Equine Adoption Center and they, they took her in and, and they were very happy to have her. And they said, oh, we'll find her a home uh, real quick. And they did exactly that. It was like two days, maybe two days tops. Awesome. They found her a, a, a new a new home. And the people who adopted her, they had another two-year-old filly. Um, so now the two of them are like the best friends. Oh, that's so, so cool. So she has a she has a forever home. Um, she has a, a a best friend. I mean, she's not going to be a broodmare. She's not going to be a, a pleasure horse or anything like that. She's just going to live and be a horse, and that's great. And so the people at Kentucky uh, Equine Adoption Center, uh, I thank them um, more more than than I can I can ever uh, say really. So I'm I'm very happy about that. So. It, it is a terrible thing, and it ended up being a good thing overall. So uh, I, I appreciate you um, allowing Man, me to Thank you to for talk sharing that it. story because yeah. when it's, I'm glad you shared it because you know we're talking all these interviews I'm doing with different people, and everybody's so excited, and we're talking about the highs of the highs, mm-hmm. right, of, of yeah. the Breeders' Cup and winning the biggest races. But it, it's it's reality, and in a split second, like you said, everything can change, and you can go to the lowest of the lows and. The fact that it sounds, and just hearing in your voice too, it sounds like you have a little bit of, you have some comfort just knowing that this filly has a home now. She's going to be okay. She's out there. She's got a friend that she gets to play with. And um, yeah, that's, it's not always about winning at the highest level. Sometimes it's, we all get into this for what you just did right there, taking care of these horses. That's the most important thing, doing right by the horses because they do right by us so much. And, yeah. uh, Man, thank you, thank you for sharing that story with us. I know it was a sad one for you, but yeah. I know the listeners are going to really appreciate hearing it. And if anyone wants to find out more about Kentucky Equine Adoption Center, their website is kyeac.org, or you can follow them on Twitter at kyeac1 and find out more about them. Ryan, buddy, anything else you want to mention before we uh, we finish up here? No, I think I think that covers it. Um... Oh, yeah, no, I do have one more thing. So when you look at this dirt mile race and you think about multi-race bets, I mean, it's the third uh, Breeders' Cup race on Saturday. It's the third leg of the early pick five of those races, and it's the second leg of the pick four. I haven't really had a chance to look at the uh, Philly and Mare sprint or the turf sprint or the Philly and Mare turf and sprint, but this would be a good race just to do in a pick three. If you like somebody in the turf sprint, use um, simplification and Laurel River and Cyberknife in in a pick three. Um, we don't have to always play those these big pick tickets, these pick fives. I mean, if you, you hit a pick so three right. ticket on the Saturday of the Breeders' Cup, you're going to make some money. So so just uh, aim small. The the biggest days that I've had, a lot of them have been when I've been playing rolling pick threes throughout, and we get caught up in the pick fours and the pick fives because we want to hit the big one. And I think sometimes people forget about just a good old-fashioned win wager or, like you yeah. said, a trifecta. There's nothing wrong with an exacta or a try. Don't just focus on those pick fours and fives yeah. on these Breeders' Cup days because there's a lot of money to be made uh, in, in other places. 
Make sure to give Ryan a, a follow Check him out on social media At Firehouse Racing Ryan, thank you so much, buddy I, I, You're always the one of the first I go to When I'm making my list I always love chatting about the, the races with you And we gotta, uh, we gotta make, a, make this more of a, a common occurrence And talk a little bit more often Because I always appreciate it And I always leave going Man, I, I wish we talked with Ryan a little <laughs> bit more So thank you so much, buddy Have a great week Thanks for having me again I appreciate it That's Ryan Dickey there Helping us out with the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile The Big Ass Fans Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile Don't go anywhere folks We continue along We'll move from race number 5 To race number 6 On the Saturday Breeders' Cup card Big thank you to Ryan For helping us out And uh, appreciate him sharing That story there With us at the end Man, these horses are so amazing They're such incredible creatures And such uh, beautiful animals And so important To so many of us out there As uh, we recap the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, the Big Ass Fans Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, it's sponsored by Big Ass Fans. I did think the 6 Laurel River was the horse to beat in there. I'm warming up more to Senor Buscador. It was nice to hear Ryan talk about simplification, who should enjoy the the cutback and distance a little bit. Yeah, Cody's Wish, who is the horse to beat. And then Law Professor, for me, is kind of that fun long shot that I will include in at least some exotics. Sort of how I see the race Unfolding and stacking up in there You know, if you were looking at going Even deeper The, you know I don't really have any knocks on Cyberknife I think I just like a couple others A little bit more It would not be a shock at all to see him perform well in this race And then The the price of 3 Technique Who was kind of moving nicely into contention Behind Senor Buscador Last time out, he just didn't have as much late energy Now second start off the short break he has that race on July the 4th at Churchill where he was right behind Cody's Wish. You know, that race would make him a player in here. So, the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, race number 5. Give Senor Buscador a look along with Laurel River on, kind of as your top tier. That's how I'm going to play it. And then I'm going to use a lot of those horses we mentioned in underneath spots. Let's continue on to the 6th race, the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mayor Turf with John Moosis. Before we get there, we want to... Let everybody know about the free contest at Santa Anita. They are Pick'em Contest. You answer 12 prop questions every Saturday and every Sunday that there's racing at Santa Anita. And the winner of those contests gets $1,000. doesn't cost you anything to enter. You don't have to deposit anything. All you do is create an account at the on the website pick'em.santaanita.com and answer the 12 questions. Make sure to fill out the tiebreaker and... If you win, you get $1,000. These questions are combinations of sports, props, sports, lines, and then horse racing questions. And some of them are as simple as pick the winner of race number two at Santa Anita on Saturday. Others will have combinations like what number will be higher? The amount of wins on the card for jockey Juan Hernandez on a certain card or touchdown passes from Tom Brady in a certain game. You'll also have really simple ones like what's the betting line going to be in the USC-UCLA game and you'll have to pick the USC side or the UCLA side. It might be the over or the under. Free to enter, $1,000 to the winner every Saturday, every Sunday. My buddy Eric, who's been on this show many, many times, he helps us out with our NFL previews, our basketball coverage. He actually won this contest a couple weeks ago, picked up $1,000. So get involved in these contests, they are free to enter at pick'em.santanita.com. Up next, it's the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. 
to chat with uh, my old co-worker, John Moosis, who's a very, very sharp handicapper, very sharp uh, horse player, and, and just a knowledgeable man when it comes to the international races and a lot of these horses, the prep races, their barns. And John is someone who I worked with. He was a researcher and a producer, and I learned a lot from from John uh, just about how to play the races, how to approach races, how to handicap races, just listening to him and uh, picking his brain throughout the years. Very fun to catch up with John Moosis. We talk about the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. Up to race number six on the Saturday card, it's the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. I mean, if I'm... I'm not on TVG or any anything anymore, so I would have to normally read the Maker's Mark Breeders' Cup Philly American <laughs> sponsor title, right? Moose John Moose is joined, good friend and uh, someone who I worked with uh, back in the day at TVG. He was a producer, a researcher, fantastic handicapper, really knows international racing also, and has a good feel for uh, for the levels and a lot of these horses and and, and where they come in and where they stack up. And last year, Moose, uh, you did a, a hell of a job. Last year's Philly and Mare Turf was a on renewal felt like it may be a little bit stronger last year I, I, maybe at least on paper i'm not quite as sure but it it, it sure finished up with a really strong finish and it was it was cool to see um you know the japanese japanese contingent have a really strong year last year yeah it was a great race and listen if the breeders cup was comprised solely of the philly and mare turf i could probably retire but it's <laughs> it's the only race that i hit consistently every year and it's the other 13 races are usually the big problem for me but yeah last year was a great renewal uh i actually think this year's this year's renewal is a little more competitive i do really like a horse in here but i think it's a little bit more of a balanced field than last year yeah i would agree with that as uh the philly and mare turf is going to be race number six on the saturday card and uh we'll just kind of dive in and go through the field and give a thought on each of these runners from inside to outside we have the uh, the inside runner in here to kick things off. Let's start with the one lady spite spear. Now she comes in off of a couple good races up at Woodbine on the synthetic. What was interesting about her is you know earlier in the year she was running into some pretty nice horses like Bleecker Street, Regal Glory. She was in the the Distaff Turf Mile on uh, the the Derby Undercard Day, finishing behind Speak of the the Devil and in Italian. She. Just like on speed figures and everything, she does feel like a a little below. And also, this has got to be beyond her reach, right? If she was like at a mile, maybe we'd feel a little bit more competitive. But at this distance, does it feel a little farther than what she would want? Yeah, I think she's kind of one of those tweeners that we always see in every Breeders' Cup. You know, the Mm -hmm. horse without a race. She doesn't want to go against the boys in the mile. Mile and a half of the turf is too long, you know. She's just kind of settled here. There, there's distance question marks. There's obvious class question marks. She's probably, you know, with Saez from the inside, you know, maybe she's a little bit of a pace factor in here, but it's hard to see her having the speed that, you know, someone like in Italian is going to have from the outside. She's yeah. probably she's probably overmatched. Those I agree. She's a little light. She just kind of feels like she might be in chase mode too. I just, yeah, I'm. I can't really warm up to her all that much. And and then, you know, like right next door to her is going to Vegas, who is a very talented mayor. And she's done some great work out here on the West Coast. She was a winner of the Rodeo Drive uh, going wire to wire last time out. And her best races are when she's pretty close up. The yeah. problem is kind of what you were hitting at for a horse like going to Vegas or Lady Spitespear. If there wasn't an in Italian in this race, 
mm-hmm. I would upgrade them a whole heck of a lot. Their chances would feel better, but I don't think either one of them are as fast as as in Italian. And if you know they're in that spot where they're going to have to close and pass horses, I mean, are, are we going to want them closing with some of the other horses that have really nice turns of foot and bigger kicks? Yeah, probably not. I mean, if they're very similar horses in the sense that they both drawn inside, they both got you know somewhat crafty riders who i mean if you want to make a case for either of them you know one of them may get first run on sure, italian tr- tripping out yeah they could sit a trip but i mean going to vegas like i didn't love her last year Me neither. you know when she was on her home course at del mar and she was probably in a little bit better form she was eight to one last year yeah in that which, race you know yeah which felt like a little bit of an underlay if i'm being mm-hmm. honest but yeah um you know, she tried to lead them all the way around there last year, and she packed it in pretty early. Go, you know, granted, going a little bit further than she probably wanted to go this distance probably suits her a little bit better. But yeah, she's a pass for me as well. Me too. Now we get to uh, a very, very talented filly in the number three, Nashua, who has done really nothing wrong in her career. She's raced mm. seven times. She's been in the top three in all of those. She is a multiple Group One winner. Just looking at her last two races, what was very impressive in that the July 28th race in the Nashua came from way out of it, was at the back of the pack and had some trouble early on and then made up six, seven lengths, angled out and just cruised up. It was a big performance. And then last time out was much closer to the lead, kind of settling. That's is that the trip they normally want to probably be closer up? Uh, But she actually seems pretty versatile, like she's shown multiple dimensions. She is. I think that they probably want to be closer than they were in the Nassau, but I, I don't think that she, you know, I think she's tactical enough where if something unexpected happens and she ends up closer, you know, near nearer the lead than she was back then, I think they're fine. Like the thing about this Philly that I really like, much like Love's Only You last year, is that this has been the target for a long time. So after the NASA in July, they put her away. They said they were pointing specifically for the Breeders' Cup with one prep in mind, which she got in the pre de last out. And I don't think you really can dismiss that type of preparation because so many of these European horses come here like as an afterthought. And they get bet they get bet in spite of that. She's a you know, she's three years old, she's improving. Um, I think she's gonna get a ton out of that last race. It was she all and July. like with what you're saying, she ran exactly fitting to that. A horse one hundred percent. That 100%. might just be a little short and need the race pointing for a bigger because she opens up, she takes the lead, moves to the front end, and her class was still almost able to get her there. She just yeah, couldn't ab- hold off the late challenge. Absolutely. Like you see that little layoff there. You you go into it in mind thinking that this is a prep. She did all this dirty work on the front end, which she probably doesn't want to do. She was on soft ground. She just mm-hmm. got a little tired late and she got she got hit on the line. But She's probably going to be a little bit better of a target if, I mean, she's the main, she's probably the horse to beat. She's the main contender in here. I actually told our buddy, the cat, that this was the horse that was going to win this race back in July. I'm waffling a tiny bit, but if you, you pin me down, which that's the reason I'm on the show, I would say that she's the most likely winner. Yeah, she's she's not any type of a short price that I'd be trying to beat or tossing out in any way, shape, or form. She's done yep. so little wrong, and uh, she's coming into this race in fantastic form. She ran, uh, she was able to hold off above the curve last time out. Above the curve is the number four, who's nine to two for Joseph O'Brien, and she was actually 
just a neck off the lead. She was two lengths from the rail. She was in between, and then she was back. She backed off a little bit, got an opening, had dead aim, um, and was in that photo for second. Above the curve is another one that's lightly raced, and it's really tough to knock her overall form. Yeah. She's also a Group One winner. Talk to us about her. Yeah, she's like you said. She's well established on her form line. She's one of the better three-year-old fillies in Europe right now. Lightly raced. She's fresh. She's kind of a really big, scopey filly. She doesn't have like a real great turn of foot, but like once she's asked and once she gets going, she's got some fight in her. Um, I think that she acts on all types of ground. So, you know, if there was some concern about firmer ground here, which she's probably going to get, I don't really think that that should be a concern. And she's by American Pharaoh, who like has predominantly had success in this country as a grass sire. So maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe the firmer ground even moves her up a touch. Who knows? Yeah. Um, She's just an easy horse to project more improvement And, you know, you might see her run a career best I I don't think it hurts that she has Velasquez either Yeah, she's going to go third start of her form cycle too So she could be set for another little step forward in here I don't really have many knocks on her overall She seems like she's a pretty pretty nice player here Yep, absolutely That's above the curve We continue on uh, another um, international runner Tuesday who comes in from Longchamp Was in the uh, the same uh, Prix Opera Behind Nashua and above the curve the, the two that we just talked about Tuesday actually beat <clears throat> Nashua Back in the Epsom Oaks In June going a mile and a half There and and uh, This is Aiden O'Brien and Ryan Moore Who you know It's funny to look at Aiden O'Brien And Ryan Moore and just compare to like Appleby And the success that two barns have yeah. had Recently in the US Aiden O'Brien has I think won eight races in the last five years. <laughs> yeah, the um, record's eight bad. for the last 120 in Oof. in the last five years on the the DRF database that I'm looking at, and Appleby is like 50 percent in graded stakes races. <laughs> you know, just like unbelievable. Um, a horse like this Tuesday, what do we do with him? Her? Yeah, it's. it's so when I said earlier that a lot of the Euros come here as an afterthought, I think Aiden O'Brien probably accounts for about 90% of those. Right. <laughs> I yeah. think he's like, I think he's like 0 for 16 in this specific race or something like that. Mm-hmm. And and they usually all fit this profile. Like she's making her ninth start of the year. Yep. Her last two kind of look like she's just over the top from her, from her early season form. And so like when I first looked at the race, like I came in, like obviously I know who she is. Like I, but I came in here like, dead set against her but I will say this like of all of like the big reputation horses that he brings over this is and I could be missing somebody but this is probably the first time I actually remember the odds reflecting that sort of sentiment that maybe these horses are over the top she's eight to one on the morning yeah yeah they're not they're not she's not four to one here no and usually his big reputation Horses come over and their reputation precedes them a little, and you know they're five to two, three to one, yes. seven to two, something in that range. Like you remember last year when we talked about love in this race, and it was kind of like it was an interesting dilemma because you're like, these are the horses that you want to bet against when they're five to two, two. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. what do you do if this horse is eight or ten to one? I mean, her form lines are really flashy. Like you mm-hmm. said, she beat Nashua in the Epsom Oaks, albeit that was probably. A distance that favored her Nashua is probably better 10 furlong horse And then she loses to the arc winner By a length at York, at York And then the last two races They're on soft ground which probably doesn't suit her So if she wants a little bit firmer And she's going to get that I don't know I, she's a really I, interesting horse Yeah and I think 
it sound I think because she's still young. I'm a, she's not like five, and right. has the uh, that long year. Maybe just at the she's still young enough and has a little mm-hmm. bit of upside enough. I agree mm-hmm. with you, and I think the more I've looked at this race, she's like a pick four, pick five horse. I think yes. you throw you throw in you know at eight or ten to one, and then you look at the board, and if she is around this price, like you said, that's playable. Where it's a different conversation than you're having if she's you know up on the board at three to one or seven to two. One hundred percent. And I'll throw one more little wrinkle into it, and I'm probably skipping ahead a horse or two. But what happens if his other entrant toy is in there as a rabbit? We've seen him do that a bunch mm-hmm. in Europe. He does it occasionally over here. I mean, she's a she's a nice filly in her own right. She was second in the Irish Oaks. But you kind of look at her preparation and you look at, you know, her in and out form and you're and I don't know, it just makes you wonder. Like is yes. she in there to put some pace is she in there to put some pace on in Italian? I don't know. And just make it a little bit more honest for a mm-hmm. horse like this and, and set mm-hmm. it up because you're absolutely right. And we you know, we can talk we can talk about toy because uh Miss on scene Unfortunately, was my pick in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies Turf last year, <laughs> and has uh, hasn't done anything this year. Um, yeah, so- she's and she she had a little bit of a reputation coming over last year. Um, she I knew a couple people who were kind of into her a little bit, but yeah, she, she just hasn't panned out as a three year old. And no, precocious at two, we see it all the time, and then just hasn't been able to take the step forward this year at three um, for whatever reason. As uh, Toy was who we were mentioning, and that's the number seven in here, who's twenty to one on the morning line. And Toy comes in off of a win, forwardly placed win, going a mile in a, a, like a much much softer spot. Yeah. So it's like this is a you're right. There's something weird about this horse being here to where you feel like there's a purpose for it, and maybe it's help helping to set it up for the other part of the team. Yeah, and she's she's had some really sort of odd trips if you go back and watch a few of her replays she kind of seems to find herself on the lead in some spots which i i don't actually think that's what she wants to do if she's trying to win the race herself um she wouldn't have to do that here if you know they actually have designs on giving her a fair crack at it i think she's a little bit better with some cover and some horses to run at her irish oaks was very good and the filly that beat her is a nice filly um but yeah, on the whole, you look at her resume, and it's not the type of horse that you say this horse is in it with a shot to win it. And no. I, it just, I'm I'm handicapping the race as if she's in there to be a pace factor. Yeah, and I, I I could be totally wrong, and I don't think it I don't think it drastically changes the dynamic of the race if no. she's not. No, but, but it would it would just help a little bit to use a Tuesday or a horse like that. And if they're a price and you're and you're making that case, then then that's yeah. fine. Like that's fine, right? You're trying yeah. to get a price in there and thinking there may be a little bit more pace. I don't think you're saying that she's going to be the horse that completely runs an Italian into the ground or anything. But I like to say that, and I've said this on a lot. Simulate you, you like you simulate it in your head a hundred times, right? There are yeah. versions of this race, absolutely, where this horse is pushing them on the front end, and that's why she's in this race. So I totally agree with you. If we get Tuesday at a fair enough price, I think Toy will will help her cause. Yeah, one hundred percent. And look, if you think that Tuesday is a true twelve furlong horse, and the cutback is disadvantageous to her, then it makes even more sense to use a rabbit in there, hoping mm-hmm. that the race falls apart a little bit. The eight so. is fa- is um, family way for Brendan Walsh. In this mare, 
shipped out to Santa Anita in the Rodeo Drive in a race that was a, a spot that she probably could have won. It, the, she didn't get the pace to run out going to Vegas; just went wire to wire. But I mean, she's she's been under <clears throat> in a lot of these these bigger races, and you know, I just couldn't make as much of a case for her as as some of the others. No, she re- actually reminds me a little bit of my sister Nat from last year. Oh yeah, you're right. Horse, you're right. She kind of yeah. knocks at the door a little, every race. She always runs her number, but she's just a cup below, and she does kind of like a grade three, like maybe like a grade two ish horse, and then in the grade ones, she just feels a little below. Yeah. And now that said, my sister Nat actually almost won the race last year, and I absolutely yeah. hated, hated her in yeah. that spot. But she <laughs> she kind of followed Warlike Goddess and made that kind of early ish move, and but it, like. There's one thing that I that does make me curious about her and to a lesser extent a horse like Virginia Joy is that you got a couple of these fillies in here that are that that we know stay 11 12 mm-hmm. furlongs like does one of these horses take off and try to make an early run and turn it into a staying contest mm-hmm. like I know we don't we don't see that much in America like jockeys don't get aggressive with mid race moves like that a lot but Tyler's an aggressive rider like I could see it I she's mm-hmm. And these horses in this race, if you're not doing that, are you even trying? Like, what is your chance to win? Right. Right. You like you have to take up. some sort of a tactical advantage or a middle move, try to catch someone sleeping. It's sort of the same like we were saying with the two inside horses. You're not going to sit back and kick with some of these others. You have to try to get creative if you want to really win this race. 100%. That, if it was my horse, that's what I would be trying to do with a horse like this. She stays Take a, take a shot at it. What do you got to lose? Absolutely. And that's why you're, because again, I don't think enough people in, in modern day horse racing, like the connections and, and maybe they do, maybe I don't know, but it doesn't feel like enough. Look at each race individually and kind of treat it that way. And it's, it's, it's really hard with horse racing maybe versus, I don't know, like a basketball game, for example, where, Hey, in a basketball game, you you know what your approach for a certain team might be. They have a right. bigger team, right? The the next team you play, they play smaller, so you know you may have to play different personnel and shift. For horses, it's hard because at the same time you're trying to develop them, every race is different and as an individual. But, I mean, I would – I'm just the, the really competitive gambler in me. Like, I would try <laughs> to treat each race a little bit more as, okay, how can I really get – what's the best chance we have to win this race? Right. Yeah, there's really there's really a focus in this country on let's not take the horse out of their style that mm-hmm. they like to run it. I know. And yep. so you're all of these jocks and all these trainers are just like, hey, take her back, get her comfortable, make one run, because that's the style. Like you're a trainer. Like that's your job. I know. <laughs> like I Every, there's really trainer there's different really, going into that race, maybe, than you would the next, or right, or like you you know absolutely. what to do afterwards. Like I just I completely agree with you. There were too many times where, and now, unfortunately, like as gamblers, we all know this now. We all look mm-hmm. at these races and we're just like, oh, yep, this is gone. There, nobody's going to go. Everyone's going to sit and lope along. And it just, it happens a little too often. I, Especially I hope, in grass racing. I know. And I hope in in a race like this or you know, like in the real competitive races, we see horses try to win it, you know, and uh, and maybe we'll see one of these horses try to speed up the tempo, quicken things up. As we move to Rougier, the number nine, who comes in off winning the E.P. Taylor last time out, beat Moira, didn't have the best of trips, uh, Moira, in that one. Rougier sort of benefited a little bit from that. She's She's been a strange horse because she had some pretty good form 
overseas before coming to the U.S. last year in the Breeders' Cup Philly and Mare Turf. She was 14 to 1 in that race behind Love's Only You, My Sister Nat, Warlike Goddess. And then she she stayed here. She didn't start her campaign until May for Chad Brown. She won her first start. And then the New York, the Diana, the Beverly D. I think in all of those races, she would. A little bit disappointing to be honest I, I was expecting a little more from her off of that Bogey effort and and she got Back uh, in the win column in the EP Taylor going a mile and a quarter Up at Woodbine talk to us a little about Rougier yeah she's a really Deceiving horse like you said she started Off the year pretty nicely and you kind of Thought like oh Chad's got another big one Here but then she just Honestly she stepped Into real good company and she got found out like I, mm-hmm. I think she's I think she's pretty much run the exact same race every time Absolutely. I just think her two wins have been a function of what was behind her or in, you know in some cases in front of her she has no turn of foot she just plugs away and even that last win in Canada like I give her credit she checked out of there pretty badly about the half mile pole and she dropped back and made another run but if you go back and you watch that race she never ever looked like a winner in that race no. No, like even at the 16th pole, I was like, I knew knew the result before I watched the race. And even at the 16th pole, I was like, this, there's no way this Philly wins. I did the same thing. Like you look at the running line back and you, you kind of, am I watching the right race when you're watching the replay, you know, cause (laughs) you're like, she, she wins this race and it just doesn't look like she's going to get there. I'm, I'm just kind of cold on her. Cause I, there were, you know, I think it was probably the Diana and Mm-hmm. Behind in Italian and okay she couldn't get to in Italian And then again I guess with Delica Where she doesn't have as much speed but Even in those races where Maybe she wouldn't have won Because a horse got loose I just didn't like the way she ran there At all behind no, and And the Diana is somewhat instructive Because she probably needs A pokey pace in front of her To keep her in touch with the field mm-hmm. and, and she's not going to get that here No because when when there is legitimate pace and it strings her out, she doesn't have the gears to run down horses. Nope. Nope. You're absolutely right. She just kind of fell into it in, yeah. in that last time. And, and that was because they were going so slow and it kept her in the race. She was only yeah. four or five, four lengths out of it. So even with the trouble, she was able to just kind of grind down horses that most of that field, she was just classier than and better than, classier like we said, than, and it, yeah. it was, it was like the, the bogey effort and, and the others where she's just, she's better than that group. Yeah, she's a big pass for me. I didn't like her yeah. last year, and I probably like her even less this year now that she's sort of been exposed to American racing a little bit. Yeah, me too. Virginia Joy is the 10 for Chad Brown. She went wire to wire in the Flower Bowl last time out. She defeated Warlike Goddess, who was just a little bit too patient when they went uh, 53 <laughs> in change to the, yeah. to the, uh, the half mile there. Um, Virginia Joy just kind of looks like one of those horses here that has taken advantage of of the speed, but she was one that you were kind of hitting on. Like she has no problem getting distances and maybe she, she's probably not as quick as a couple of the others early, but she could be a horse that maybe sits and just tries to press a button, make a move and speed things up. Yeah. I mean, she like her two wins this year, like you were alluding to, she's gotten halves in 53 50, and 54, like 54, um, 64. Or the fractions right. in that in that race, <laughs> right? She she probably picked the wrong year to get good, to be honest. Because had she like earned her way in last year, the mile and three eighths, like yeah, probably was going to suit her way better. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's another horse that's kind of a horse without a race. Like, do you go in the mile and a half against the boys, or do you cut back to a distance? It's probably too short for her here, and this is kind of just where she ended up. And um, 
it's just hard to foresee a scenario where she runs down a bunch of horses from off the pace to win. So yeah, like, do you tell Irad, Hey, take your shot at the five eights and see what happens. Or, you know, do you try I, to fall into, fall into a, you know, in the money shot? Yeah. I, I mean, I know in either way, she's just on connection. She's going to get over bet. Right. Yeah, like Brown I mean, and Ortiz. I, yeah. I think that, I think that 10 is probably right about where she ends up, but yeah. her realistic chances I think are less than that, to be honest. Yep. Yep. Right next door is the horse who, uh, who dictates the race. The race will go through in Italian four-year-old Philly who has won back-to-back grade ones. She won the Diana going a mile and an eighth. She won the first lady going a mile. You know, the real question for her is How far will she go? How far will she take us? She should be out on the front end Probably a, a couple lengths clear of this field, right, Moose? And just kind of like, you know, what, what she, how, what's she going to do uh, in Italian? Yeah, Chad, you know, was saying that he thinks that Stretching her out will probably give her a bigger bigger lead A bigger pace edge And he's, mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably right about that um, You know, her wins at Eight to nine furlong. She she set legit fractions, which is something in her favor because she's not going to have to go as fast here. Uh, you know, she actually reminds me a lot. She fits the same profile as Rushing Fall. Yep. Like you know, Chad's filly who just missed in this race a few years back. She's kind of a speed horse who you're not quite sure if she's going to get the distance. Are they going to leave her alone long enough? Or that's an edge for her. My my only knock. You know, I know a lot of people don't think the distance is going to be a problem, but that Diana win at nine furlongs, like that course was like a pool table that mm-hmm. day. And, you know, you let a talented speed horse get loose like that, you know, you're not going to catch her. And I, I just, I, I don't think the main contenders in here, I don't, I don't, I don't think that any of them are going to be taken enough out of their game where you worry about in Italian wiring the field. I think Nashua has enough early pace to stay not stay within be, striking range and yeah, not to, impacted. Yeah, I and and same with above the curve and to a lesser extent Tuesday, you know, we talked about Toy possibly being in there as a as a rabbit or some kind of uh, pace factor, but I don't know, like do you want 7 to 2 on a horse like this, I guess. Is I, that's your, the problem, your right? She's a fun She's the type of horse that you like at eight, six, eight to one. Yes. Like, that gets the lead and you're, you have the questions to ask about her. It, this is a little short. Like, can she get the lead and win this race? A hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Can that happen? No doubt about it. But for her chances of winning this race at that price, I'm, you know, she's a scary horse to completely chuck out. Because turning, you know, we're going to see her get, you're going to be like, oh, crap. If she's got a couple length lead, (laughs) she just opens things up. But, yeah, it just, her chances to win at that price. Do you like her at 7-2 to in comparison with some of the others? I just, I I don't know if if I can get there. Yeah, I would agree with that. It's, it's, that's an odds board play. Um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm playing this horse in multis, I'm that's probably the horse I toss in favor of some of the euros at a slightly bigger mm-hmm. price, like like a Tuesday mm-hmm. or above the curve. Um, that's probably the horse that I try to beat. We finish up the field with Moira. Moira 
The three-year-old filly who won the Queen's Plate this year She's a super talented filly And in her first turf start, she tried older She tried grade one company in the EP Taylor And she did not have a good trip in that race, uh, to be kind She had a good start (laughs) inside She kind of got pushed back to fifth She's about three or four lengths off She was traveling pretty well And then she tried to get off the rail She had nowhere to go She moved to the two path She was blocked, she was behind a wall of horses Then she tries to move inside, no room (laughs) She finally gets a little bit of room late And then starts to rally and just misses Um, And she'll get a little bit of a jockey upgrade With uh, Dottori jumping aboard Right. Yeah, that, that's an that's an interesting uh, jock move there. Uh, you know, I thought that I thought that it was a a good effort from the standpoint that she had been beating a bunch of restricted Canadian breads in those triple mm-hmm. crown. And you know, she got a lot of headlines for winning the Queen's Plate by ten. And but those are really you know yeah the low class restricted races when when you make comparing the to this company. right. Yeah, and so I thought it was a good effort. She kind of, you know, legitimized herself. But that being said, that E.P. Taylor field was not good. And if, no. you know, if you don't like Rougier, it's hard to make a case for Moira. I mean, maybe you, you know, she's a three-year-old. Maybe she's still got some upside. Um, but this is another really, really big step up the class ladder. So, and yeah, I think, and she, and she got a I tough draw too. Probably. Like if you yeah. like her a little bit too, and then she's hooked way out wide because I don't know if she wants to be like she's another where. Her an advantage for her would maybe be to sit in front of some of the deeper horses, and that might be they may be forced to try to go a little closer. But she's not really quick. I don't know if she wants to drop way out of it and close with them. So she's she kind of feels in between. I really respect her ability, and, and I agree with you in that. Like she had a ton of trouble. She was best in the EP Taylor, and I think yep. she proved herself as like a classy horse against open company. Yep. But this is like if we would have had two or three more races. To see that, to see her build a body of work, yeah, I would maybe be able to play her. But right here, it's just so hard. From that race where we're where we're cold on Rougier, saying that she would be a player in here from post twelve, I'm I can't quite get there. With yeah, I uh, think she's an I think she's an interesting horse to watch for next year. I totally think, agree. Like in the FJC fantasy, fantasy jockey club for next year, right? She might <laughs> be a go. fun pick, a fun horse to pick. Um, there you go, Moira, who uh, is ten to one on the morning line. In this field of 12 So as we uh, we go through the field You know it, it'll come down to the pace Obviously with an Italian Trying to lead the way Do we get a horse like Toy that can help Set things up And it sounded like for the most part um, We we did feel like The you know the Euros and the international horses Pretty much in the middle of the, the field Right there with Nashua the three above the curve The four Tuesday the five I think I'm the most intrigued by those three in this field Yeah I mean it's It's not a It's not a very exciting race from a price standpoint I mean I think no. in these in these races I think you know you always Go through the Euros if, if you're going to win um, I'm Grudgingly sticking to Nashua Because I've been on her all year It's It's kind of a boring pick I do agree, though, that Tuesday, if the price is anywhere near where it is the morning line, you have to consider using. I mean, she's a definite use in multis, but mm-hmm. if the price is, you know, eight, ten to one, I mean, that's I think that's a win play, you know. And and with a horse like Nashua, too, you see five to two sometimes in like a Breeders' Cup race and you think, ah, that's like short of this or that. But like if this filly doesn't get bet more than that. And if maybe one or two of these other horses get bet and she is like five to two 
three to one ish, like in that range. That, yep. That's a very fair value for a horse, like you said, who's had this mapped out. The prep looked like a perfect prep to set her up for this. Like, it's just really tough to knock anything that she's done. And if someone else gets bet a little bit, she may give you like a playable price. I can't leave her out in anything. I'll probably end up using, like, I think in, you know, playing pick four or pick five, I'll probably go three, four, five, I think is, is the way I'll look at this race. Yeah. Those three are just, they're hard to knock. They're all three-year-old fillies. They all have some projectable improvement in them and they're defined class horses. The one horse that I will say that I'm kind of intrigued to use underneath is Family Way. I think of Mm -hmm. the American horses, she, she's the most consistent and I do think she's shown herself capable at lesser distances to some extent than some of the other ones have. Yeah, the, I mean, even just using a race or two as a measuring stick, like, you know, she's not far behind a warlike goddess who would be an, a major player in this race again. No, even she, right? she ran she ran Bleecker Street pretty close. She ran Warlike Goddess close over this course. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think she's I think she's a definite use in, in underneath plays. And before we let you go, what did you think of the the choice um for Warlike Goddess who to make the decision to go against the boys in the turf a little bit better for her getting that that longer distance than this one? Yeah, I think it was the right move. I don't think that race is particularly as tough as it's been in other years. I don't feel like are... either the Philly and Mare or the Turf this year was quite as strong. Like I agreed with you, maybe more competitive or contentious, but not yeah. quite like as top tier strong. Yeah, it sounds like people are kind of, you know, awarding that race to Appleby and Godolphin, but I I'm not terribly I wouldn't be terribly frightened of either of those horses if I was in Bill Mott's shoes. I think I think no. Warlike Goddess has more to give than she's shown this year because I think she's had this sort of odd start-stop campaign and trying to find spots where she fit the best because there were some races she pointed to previously that had the distances changed. And then he was on the fence about running against the boys at Saratoga versus waiting until, you know, Breeders' Cup or even at Belmont and the Joe Hirsch. And it, she just had an odd campaign. And I, I think that this is what Mott has wanted to do all year was 12 furlongs against the boys moose man i really appreciate it it's uh it's been awesome getting to catch up with you and talk about these races the last couple years you have like an insight and a, a knowledge of a lot of these international races from watching them through the years that you just like when someone handicaps a race or two uh, and they're looking up these races it's different than knowing the levels of the races knowing the the races they come out of knowing the barns knowing the patterns and yeah you, you gave us some great information again this year Really appreciate it And uh, uh, what's uh, what's Breeders' Cup days look like for you nowadays? You, n- not working uh, like before anymore, right? You get to get, get kicked back at home and play? Yep, just sitting on the couch Firing, uh, losing 13 of the 14 races Except <laughs> yep. for this one <laughs> And hopefully that this one is the one where you do well enough To make up for the rest of them there as, uh, Absolutely Yeah, we, uh, man, I really appreciate your time And uh, we'll have to get you back again for uh, another big day Where uh, where you can really help us out it, It's been a blast And you're one of the, the, the guys where I always love interacting with you Like every time after we talk Whether it's like social media or have a conversation I'm always like, damn, I, I wish I need to talk to Moose more I always come out <laughs> of it feel, feeling well I, I have a good time And I, I really appreciate your uh, your analysis and, and and the work that you put in, and uh, I've learned a lot from you through the years about you know approach and um, you know taking the right swings, taking the right stand, and just just the process of handicapping. That's why I like doing these shows on Breeders' Cup to show everyone out there the different processes that people have along the way. But the one consistent thing is that it takes work, it takes time, 
It's not a, a get rich quick scheme. There's no magic formula. Just the more you put in, the more you'll start to learn, the the more comfortable you feel, and it's going to help you in the Absolutely. long run. Absolutely. It's always fun to come on, man. Feelings mutual. Love doing it. John Moosis, good friend, uh, someone who I've uh, had the chance and the pleasure of working with uh, years back. Thanks so much to John for helping us out. We will continue on, folks, on the Breeders' Cup Saturday. We'll move to the Breeders' Cup Sprint. We're going to talk with Craig Milkowski from Timeform US next. Fantastic information from John Moosis. Thanks so much to Moose for helping us out. So, yeah, we're we're kind of in the, the middle of the field there with Nashua, with the four... Um, uh, above the curve with the five Tuesday, maybe the intriguing price horse there. You know, the race will go through the 11 in Italian who, if you want to use, I won't talk you completely off using, and I can understand wanting to use what could be the controlling speed in there. The horse that I'm a, a little more interested in, and I'm, I'm still, I'll probably throw in just some under spots. I don't think she's going to be able to do it from the outside draw, but I, I just think, that that race was pretty impressive from Moira, but it just it wasn't that great of a field. Can she step up and beat this group? I don't know, but can she hit the board? Maybe. Um, she just may not be a big enough price. She may have a little bit like more of a reputation because of the you know the Queen's Plate, the winning the Queen's Plate there. The other one, you know, Nash was obviously yeah the, the horse to beat. the The seven toy can she be a horse who makes this race? Strange, you know, muddy, <clears throat> muddies this race up, puts a little pressure on in Italian. The Philly in Mare Turf race number six. One of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said from the very beginning, Sarah Candles, C-E-R-A Candles.com. That's their website. And right now, holiday season is coming up. You're listening to this. You're going to start getting your Christmas gifts together for family, for friends. And there's always going to be a few people that you're not sure what to get. What do we need for them? What do they need? What might they like? Get them a couple candles. Let them know that the candles you got them, they're all natural. They're soy wax. They're healthier for you. No toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants. You can pick out a couple different scents for any mood, any season. And heck, while you're at it, grab a couple right now leading into Thanksgiving and then into the fall, into uh, from the fall to you know the the winter season for Christmas and you can get all the scents you need for around the house you know if you you got the kids or the animals sometimes it, you can get a little smelly around the house right someone's cooking something it's a little bit weird someone puts a little fish in the microwave one of those things you've got the Sarah candles they're all natural no toxins no pollutants and when you use the promo code GINO it'll get you 10% off your purchase CERA candles.com Let's move into the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Craig Milkowski from Timeform US joins us. This is at least the third year in a row that he's talked about the Breeders' Cup Sprint with us. It'll be the second year in a row that we talk about Jackie's Warrior as a favorite in the Breeders' Cup Sprint. Jackie's Warrior went down in defeat last year. He's come back this year. He's won four of his five races, was defeated recently by Cody's Wish, but he heads into the Breeders' Cup Sprint as an overwhelming favorite in there. Let's talk about the race with Craig Milkowski. So I had to wait 
to see if the Lakers were going to win a game before I could bring on <laughs> Craig Milkowski to talk about Breeders' Cup races with us. Because I knew if the, if the Lakers hadn't won, I may not have had to a- been able to ask Craig on because he would have given me too hard of a time if they were like 0-6 to start the season. So that's where I am in my basketball fandom right now. One win is getting me excited to get the monkey off my back. But this won't be a basketball podcast. This will be a Breeders' Cup sprint conversation with our good friend Craig Milkowski. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. And I just want to say you got to give props to Russ for that game. He played I will, great. You know what? That. His last two or three games that he's played, he's probably had a couple of his better games as a Laker. I think he's sort of just taking all of this energy and just kind of saying F it and harnessing it and just kind of playing a little bit more like old Russ on the court. And he'll make some mistakes here and there, but he had he had lost a little bit of that fire, you know, that that spark that made him him. Yeah, no doubt about it. And that's exactly like you said. I mean, he's a guy that usually gives uh, everything he has every minute he's on the court and that looked to be lacking, but it's back. I think it's a little understandable given the way things were going. Uh, it was with a bad him fit and-, and the fans and everything. And he got this. It wasn't always his fault, but he was kind of scapegoated because it's a $44 million guy out there that wasn't doing what you needed and bad fit. But you know what? He If he just... In certain spots, if he says, okay, I can be this awesome sixth man off the bench and maybe play against some second, like some, you know, second stringers, tear them up and then close games, he's playing really hard defense too, which is nice. Like he played really good defense. Even when they lost to the Clippers, he was playing hard against Kawhi. And uh, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully they can at least be competent and watchable for me as a, as a Laker fan moving forward. But uh, Craig, it was a blast. I got to meet you earlier this year for the first time. After a couple years, we uh, we we got to go out in Oklahoma and have a couple drinks. I got to meet your beautiful wife, and uh, we had a fun night. And we always save the Breeders' Cup Sprint for you because you love to talk about these fast horses. And this will be a swan song for uh, a personal favorite of yours over the last couple years, Jackie's Warrior. It will. Unfortunately, I don't, I don't know just how fast these horses are this year. I agree. Jackie's Warrior is obviously a fast one. I do think he's got some question marks based on that last race. Is he the really the prime Jackie's Warrior that we saw in the summer of his three-year-old season? I'm not sure, but I don't know how much difference it's going to make because when you look at the field in this race— I would say the three horses who would be his biggest challengers of those horses expected in this race, obviously I'm not talking about horses like Flightline and Life is Good, aren't here. One wasn't entered and two were in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. So it's another one where I really didn't want to go with Jackie's Warrior. I kind of want to look to beat him. But I don't think that's as easy. It's easier said than done. You're absolutely right because in this particular race, it's not – honestly, it's not that strong because – no Jack Christopher in here. Gunite was maybe another horse that you were, you know, we were thinking about who yes. was in the dirt mile. And and now you look at the rest of this group after Jackie's Warrior, it's a you know, you have your Breeders' Cup winner from last year, Aloha West, who felt like he was just in better form last year coming into the race um a little bit more. And I I don't know who is really at the quality caliber of Jackie's Warrior to push him early on. Right. I, he threw in a clunker in the Breeders' Cup last year and he went fast early and Aloha West won. And so it's been twice in the Breeders' Cup where he hasn't sealed the deal. But again, on paper, just treating this race as an individual, he's absolutely the horse to beat. 
Right. I guess you could say he had a bit of an excuse last year in the sprint where he was pressed. He came out of it with a knee chip, Mm -hmm. but I'm a little dubious on that one. Horses run fine with knee chips all the time. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not going to to run a great race. I just think for whatever reason, he didn't show up, but he had bounced back. He looked good. You know, at Timeform US, we do a a pace projector where we try to gauge where the horses are going to be in sprints. Uh, It's after the opening quarter mile. And of course, we we have Jackie's Warrior in front in this field. But what's even more illuminating to me is the horse we have shown in second is Super Ocho, a horse who, I mean, he's okay. I don't think anybody's putting him on top in their selections. And I don't even know if he's a true front runner. He was a horse who chased a fast pace at San Anita last time. He's fine. I'm not knocking him, but it just shows how much of an advantage Jackie's warrior has early. And then it's a big gap back to the third horse. And that third horse is another 30 to one morning line horse, Willie boy. So I do wonder just how much of an advantage that Jackie's Warrior is going to have. I think it's pretty substantial. One thing I don't want to see is uh, Joel Rosario up on the front kind of strangling this horse back. No, no. Which is what we saw last time. And I think that's what got him beat. Uh, He kept Cody's wish in the race. He kept a horse who is going to have a stronger finishing kick than him, a horse who's in the dirt mile, one of the ones I was talking about in the race and just wasn't able to hold him off. So I really hope Joel just goes, lets this horse run, and he's going to be tough to run down and maybe get a little redemption from last year. Now, that that's not going to thrill betters very much because he's probably going to be two to five or three to five in this field, but you don't have to play every race and you certainly don't. If you do play, you can play vertical bets as well. And people might be looking for an anchor in their uh, horizontal bets. And I think he's a pretty strong one. I agree with you. And that's, it's, he's just got such a pace advantage. You were hitting at that. The horses that feel like they are going to be closest to him early. Aren't very classy. Like I don't know how much they can really push him. And if he's let loose, that's going to make it difficult for, the horses that you may think could run him down, they just might be strung out a little bit. A horse like American Theorem's had a nice year so far, but, you know, Aloha West, you know, he's a Breeders' Cup winner from last year. Maybe an elite power, someone like that. They may be well behind Jackie's Warrior early on. Now, let's say he gets beat. For whatever reason, he gets, you know, put into a battle. He just doesn't really fire quite as well as he did last year. Who do you, who would you think a horse that could capitalize or who would be the most intriguing to you outside of Jackie's Warrior? When I first heard Kamari was going to enter the sprint, I, I was a little bit dubious, but I get it. When you look at the fields, there, there's a, some mm-hmm. things to like about her. I would never be betting her in this spot because she's going to be the second choice. You could argue she's probably the second most likely winner. My one concern with her is... When you look through her past performances on Timeform US, at least, she is a filly who does her best running. Actually, she's a mayor now. I forget how long she's been around. Yeah. That she does her best running when she gets a slow pace. She's able to stay in the race and, like and she's really close in a slow pace, right? Right. She is really tough to outfinish in the lane because she flies home. There is no doubt about it. All of her wins recently come in races that have blue fractions, which means slow. And then when you look at her red colored races, the ones that had a fast pace, she just doesn't have that kind of kick and doesn't finish off the races. So 
I'm a little bit against her in this spot because I do think Jackie's warrior is going to go. I, I don't think they're going to mess around. I think they're going to open up three lengths, make her chase. So I'd probably be looking for some other horses, uh, particularly if I play exact as I'm not going to use her. What's the point of playing yeah. the favorite over the, the second choice when I don't love her at all? I would look to last year's winner, Aloha West. There, there's obviously some question marks with him. We haven't seen him since the very beginning of July. Something must have went amiss because he disappeared from the work tab after that race until just early in October. He's got in a good five work since, and he's working well. Uh, seems to be in good form, and he always seems to show up and run his race. So I don't want to totally dismiss him. And if he's anywhere near that morning line, like if he's going off the I guess it would be fourth or fifth choice on the morning line. I, I could see myself playing a straight exacta under Jackie's Warrior. The one horse I wanted to ask about comes out of just. I, th- I think I saw you answer a, a, a tweet regarding how strong this race was, the Vosberg this year. Um, uh, elite power. You know, he's been good form right now, but he beat a group that wasn't very strong. He earned a, a decent figure there. I. I I would be okay with him, but I just feel like he's going to be a little shorter of a price than he should because the race isn't that strong. Like if he was 10 to one ish, I could be convinced into playing him. He seems like he's maybe if he's like five to one, that might be a little short for a horse who I really don't know who he's defeated. Yeah. He's never run as fast on my numbers as Aloha West has several times. Yeah. And the, the Vosberg Let's be honest, that was the worst Vosberg I remember since I've been following horse racing. I mean, we had two eight-year-old geldings run second and third. Good, solid horses. No knock against Eastern Bay or drafted, but they're not here, and they're not here for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, Eastern Bay just came back, ran a nice race in the bowl ruler, but got beat in what was a, a pretty weak grade three that day. So Elite Power, my one concern with him, other than the price is, He's just not very fast. He was deceptively up close because there was no pace in that Vosberg. But in a race against a horse like Jackie's Warrior, I just have a feeling he's going to get shuffled pretty far back in this field. And I just don't know if he's that good. If he is, so be it. I'll lose. But I just don't see it personally. The one horse who he hasn't run fast enough, it looks like, I, I... can understand what they're doing with him is Obesos. Like his, he seems like he's a little better going shorter than he was when he was going a little bit longer. You know, you start to dive into his races. He didn't run all that bad in the Kentucky Derby, you know, in the Louisiana Derby. And those were going a little farther. Now they cut him back to a six furlong sprint. This is going to be tough for him chasing Jackie's warrior. He may be a horse who I keep an eye on, you know, at, six furlongs to a mile moving forward because that might be a little better for him than those races going longer. I just, maybe he can be an under horse. I, he's intriguing to me, but I just don't know about in this spot. Obesos is a horse. My uh, podcast partner, David Aragona has thought once one turn for a very long time. And he's gotten a shot here recently with a couple tries. He's run fine. He was a horse. I would probably can, he is a horse. I would consider using in verticals if there were more pace uh, yes. he just doesn't have much speed and, and he's not for me in a spot like this I, I can see the allure and maybe if there's some a surprise speed battle he could clunk up for third but he isn't for me the the horse i'm torn on the most is, is the california horse american theorem i would have loved to have one more prep for him you know I, I, um 
He, we haven't seen him since Del Mar, but he he was good this year. He was when they cut him back. Same same sort of thing like we were saying with Obesos, but he actually has better fit. Like he's run faster and he's more proven, like a couple stages ahead of where Obesos maybe could be. Yeah, and even elite power, he's run faster. And mm-hmm. what jumps out to me with him is he's a horse who does have some closing kick. Uh, he's done it at top levels. He's won a couple of grade twos, a grade one even in the Bing Crosby. Maybe the competition was it hasn't been the strongest in the California sprints lately. But those last two, uh, one where he was second the Laurel River, there just hasn't been a lot of pace at all. And he was still able mm-hmm. to win the Bing Crosby. He had he to go really to... wide, too, and Laurel River kind of got the better trip, you know, saving ground and moved in between horses. I, he wasn't going to win that day, but it, was, it wasn't the easiest of trips. No, I still think he he ran a, a good race that day. Mm-hmm. So he's another one I would be using along with Aloha, Aloha West and vertical bets. And yeah. if I was playing horizontals, maybe those two could be like B or C type horses. Jackie's Warrior would be the only A. But as we saw last year, there's no guarantees in this sport, particularly in the Breeders' Cup. So I, I don't know if there's a ton of value in singling a horse who's going to be two to five. So it just depends how you're going to construct your tickets, how how deep you want to go. But I, I agree with you. This is not a vulnerable favorite to me. This is not a favorite that I'm saying, hey, let's try to beat this one. This would be, I would, it'd be, be fine if anyone thought that Jackie's Warrior was a horse to key it on, maybe single and build some of your exotics around. If you were looking to try to beat Jackie's Warrior, I think the two horses that you mentioned, because if Jackie's Warrior gets beat, it's probably because one or two other horses went a little bit faster and put the pressure on them. So even if we can't project that necessarily, the horses who might fall into that trip would be Aloha West and American Theorem for me, at least. I think they would be the next horses I include because I agree with you. I just sort of think Elite Power may be a little undervalued for his chances here. I'd probably want like double the odds that that we may get on him. Right. And if I'm going to play um, vertical bets, I'm not going to leave out Flash of Mischief from the third and fourth slot either. As a matter of fact, he's the kind of horse I could kind of key on in those spots with mm-hmm. Jackie's Warrior in top. I really was impressed, not because it was a, a local race for me at Remington Park, but that was a pretty solid field. It was, you could argue, it was as good as the Vosburg. Yes. He was a horse turning back from routes. He hadn't sprinted in a while. Uh, his one recent sprint had been a, a return race where we hadn't seen him in a while. And he absolutely blew away some some pretty decent sprinters in that day. So on that day, so he's one that is going to be a huge price that could really enhance those try and super payouts. Craig Milkowski, you have uh, joined us uh, almost as much as anyone on this show. Anytime there's big racing going on, Breeders' Cup stuff, Triple Crown races, big days at Saratoga, Del Mar, Keeneland, anywhere. Um, it's been so nice. Remington, you helped us out. Talk about a Remington night one uh, one year. And uh, we actually uh, had your podcast partner help us out with the Philly Sprinters. So David Aragona joined us to talk the Philly and Mare Sprint. Uh, we got both of the crew on here. Now, uh, tell us some of the things that uh, that you have coming up throughout the week and some of the content. Because I know you're heading out to the Breeders' Cup, right? You'll be out there at Keeneland? Yes, Elsie, uh, my wife and I are going. We're leaving actually tomorrow. So there's not going to be a ton of content for me this year other than this one. And David and I just kind of put out a rundown of the entire Breeders' Cup. Uh, we did that today. It just came out this afternoon. So you can find it on the DRF YouTube channel or Meyer David's Twitter. Uh, and we just kind of go over the races and look at some races that have some um, – 
questionable pace scenarios, be it a lot of speed or not very much speed. We look at some of the heavier favorites and give our opinions, and we throw out some horses that are going to be prices that we think might be overlooked. So we we spent some time on that, about 90 minutes or so, so it might take you a couple listens to get through it, but I, I like to think that we've pr- provided some good information. Give Craig a follow at Timeform US Figs. You can check out all that content there. Craig, buddy, uh, keep beating those Clippers for me with OKC. Thank you. Uh, thank you on that. Love to see that from your Thunder over there. And uh, tell the wife hello. Enjoy the Breeders' Cup. Have a drink or two. And uh, have an awesome weekend, man. I, I always love talking with you. And it was so great to be able to uh, to actually have a have a, a night where we went out and had some dinner and uh, and hang out in person. Yeah, that was a fun time. It was during the NBA Finals. So um, I don't think either one of our teams have to worry about getting no. there this year. But no. uh, <laughs> and that's why we were having fun that night because we weren't stressing. You know, right. our teams weren't playing. We were really just throwing them back and kicking back. So uh, yeah, it was no no nervous moments that night. But maybe we'll be sitting on some big money this week for some nervous moments. Hopefully that's the case. Craig, it's always a pleasure, man. Uh, always love chatting with you. Thanks so much, buddy. Anytime. Greg Milkowski from Timeform US. Make sure to give him a follow and definitely download the podcast with him and David Aragona. You hear how sharp they are on our show uh, all the time. So thanks so much to Craig. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll continue along. Breeders' Cup Saturday. Always a good time catching up with Craig. Yeah, Jackie's Warrior is going to be <clears throat> really, really tough in there. I, I'm probably a little more intrigued with Elite Power than with Craig is. I... And if, if depending on how you're playing the race, right? If you're looking to spread out, I would throw in Elite Power, American Theorem, and Obesos. Um, now, if you want to just take this race as a single with Jackie's Warrior, I really wouldn't talk you off doing that. And I, I'm always trying to look for others. I just, I don't know who can push him in this race. Who is fast enough to go with him early and make him work hard? And I, it, it's so hard trying to, find the horses that'll capitalize because I just don't know if they're going to get the trips that they need. If for some reason somebody does make him work hard, American Theorem has a shot. Elite Power has a shot. Obesos has a shot. I'm not really as high on Kamari in here. That's the Breeders' Cup Sprint. That is race number seven. Let's turn the page to the Breeders' Cup Mile. We head to the mile on the turf. Caleb Knight joins me from On the Wrong Lead. Love chatting races with Caleb. We dive into this field horse by horse. We talk all about the Breeders' Cup Mile, race number eight on the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. Moving along to race eight on the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. We're up to the Breeders' Cup Mile. Joining me, good friend Caleb Knight. I love talking races with Caleb. We've done a lot of live streams together, had a lot of racing conversations through the years. And uh, Caleb, we, we've talked about this before. I think we do a lot of uh, similar handicapping. We're looking just kind of for like similar things in, in races a lot of the times. So I always love picking your brain. And we have a good race to discuss, uh, a big field here and uh, a fun I like turf races a little bit more. I think you may be able to find some hidden trips sometimes in, in turf form. So a cool race for us to talk about. And uh, most importantly, how are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, Gino. It's so good to be back on the show. It's It's been too long. I know we did some of the summer videos together, but it, it just time gets away from you. It I feels know. like. But yeah, it's exciting. I mean, Breeders' Cup is always like, I'm like a kid on Christmas. I mean, waiting for the form to drop and waiting to dive into the past performances and, you know, trying to, 
translate French websites for replays of European mm-hmm. horses and whatever else. <laughs> yeah. So it's always, uh, it's always a lot of fun. So I've been good and I can't wait to uh, start talking races. Breeders' Cup's always one of my favorite times of the year. Now you said you're actually heading out to the Breeders' Cup this year live. You're going to be out there. I am. Yeah. So me and uh, my old man are actually going. So we're going to make kind of like a father son trip. And then also a few buddies of mine, Josh from on the wrong lead and a few other of our other, uh, you know, horse racing buddies are going to be there kind of scattered, not all sitting together, scattered throughout Keeneland, but it's going to be a good weekend. I think weather looks amazing. So first time for both me and dad. So we're pretty excited. And you will have a lot of content out there in the days leading up, um, we, you and I are recording on Tuesday night. So some people may be hearing this and seeing it on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday throughout the week, but I'd imagine a lot of your content will be on all the, on the, uh, on the wrong lead channels and on, on some of your social media. Tell us what else we can look to find from you throughout the week. Yeah, absolutely. So we're actually mixing it up a little bit this year and we're going to have a Breeders' Cup live stream on Wednesday and on Thursday. That'll start around 730 Central, typically an hour, hour and a half. So Wednesday stream is going to cover the Friday card. So Future Stars Friday for the juveniles. Thursday stream will cover the Saturday card. And uh, you can catch us on YouTube at On The Wrong Lead, or you can follow my Twitter at CalebWVU or our actual Twitter at wrong underscore lead. So we do stream to Twitter as well. So if you're not a YouTube person, you have options. We'll be checking all of that out in the days leading up. Now we will dive into the Breeders' Cup mile. So Caleb, from a conversation starting point, it's fun to talk about uh, Modern Games, who was the, the horse last year that had the big incident where Modern Games got scratched, but wasn't really scratched, shouldn't have been scratched ended up running in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile Turf. And just, and it was funny, and watching that race, like, all the way around, just looked like a winner, was sitting just a couple lengths off in a great spot. And you just, the way it all went down, you knew this horse was going to win and make everything just really chaotic. And, uh, of course, that was what happened. And he will end up being one of the major players in here. He's, he's certainly talented. And it seems like the U.S., races and the courses here play pretty well to his style like he absolutely crushed up at woodbine in the woodbine mile back in september yeah i'm really hoping that he he gets through the gate without any uh uneventful this time compared to last year that left a left a bad taste in a lot of folks mouth um, mine included so that being said yeah he's he's very a very very nice horse it's a little funny because if you would have asked me a month ago to say what I think of modern games or what I think of this race, hypothetically, I'd have probably said modern games is even money. I mean, maybe yeah, four I mean, to yeah. five to win this race, but that goes to show you how much can actually change in just a month. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's not that modern games have necessarily done much wrong, but you know, we've had a couple of additions, a couple other horses have uh, shipped over that maybe we didn't expect and whatever else. But I, I do think the race has to start with modern games. Totally agree. He's not a bold. I don't think he's a chuck it out favorite. He's a, I'll use with a couple others type favorite for me. And his race last time out was very good. Also, he was close up. He was third, kind of backed up. He was about three lengths off. He moved up to contend. He just kind of had a tough time putting away the the pace setter, Jadumi, who ended up finishing third. He couldn't get by that horse until right at the wire. And so it made it, a little bit tougher for him and, and Bayside boy um, came and got him. But I mean, he's just been in all of the, the toughest races against top, top competition. I don't really have very many knocks on him. 
Yeah, I think it's tough to be aggressively against modern games in this spot. If you want to take a shot with a couple prices behind him, that's probably how I'll approach the race. I do think modern games is your most likely winner. Yep. But I will say that that last race in the Queen Elizabeth, I didn't love that race. I kind I of agree that is a bit of a negative for him, mm-hmm. actually. Um, and that, that race is probably what takes him out of the stone cold single territory for me into mm-hmm. not a favorite. I'm going to take a hard stand against, but you know, potentially use one or two others. I wanted to see more from that in that race. Like I thought he could have run better there with the trip yeah. that he was getting. And so I thought he would be able to get by those pace setters a little bit easier. And he, he yeah. just was really like, he just got second late. He didn't right. even look like he was going to get second in that race. He looked like he was going to be third and, and then just sort of wore down. Um, that rival late. So yeah, he's, you know, yeah. we were going to try to poke holes in, in every horse, especially the ones with short prices. There are, I think a couple to poke here. Like you said, maybe that we wouldn't have thought coming off of his race. It, it would bind up in, uh, up in Canada when he, he just absolutely dusted a horse like Ivar there who Ivar was like a pretty good U S turf miler. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the more impressive races I think we've seen in North America on the turf this year, just, I mean, just devastating. I, he just yeah. absolutely dominated Ivar and that was not a bad field by any stretch. So, yeah, I mean, you could argue that perhaps he just thrives on this American style racing with the two turns and with the firmer ground. And I, I wouldn't say that's an excuse. A lot of times European connections, when their horses uh, disappoint, they are kind of quick to blame the ground. I think with a horse like modern games, the ground actually does make a difference. I just think he's a better animal on firmer ground. Yeah, he really takes to this U.S. style of racing. Yep, not many knocks on modern games. Just from a talking standpoint, let's go to the outside here. With the 14, we've got Domestic Spending, who has not started since August of 2021, and he shows up in the Breeders' Cup mile, draws post 14, so he's going to be hooked way out wide. Um, when when he was in the end of 2020 to like early 2021, after the Hollywood Derby, the turf classic of the Manhattan, he was the best turf horse in training at that time. Like he was the best. He went in the Mr. D as a heavy favorite and Flavian just waited a little bit too long in that race. I think he thought he had the horse up front well measured. They went 52 and change to the half mile, like crawling. And he just waited a little bit too long and he couldn't quite get there. But then this horse is gone for, I mean, what, 15 months now? What what do we do with domestic spending? God, this is this is the biggest wild card in the entire race for me. Like, like yeah. hands down. And when I was looking before the official form came out and the morning lines were up, I could see this horse going off five to one or uh-huh. 15 to one. Like neither yeah. one would totally surprise me because this horse is just such an unknown off the layoff, coming back in this kind of a spot. And I think he's obviously an excellent horse. We've seen what he can do when he's on top of his game. He was the best turf horse in America during uh, 2021 for the most part. But I think I'm not holding the Mr. D against him to me. I, it's hard yeah. to really judge any of his previous races because they've all come so you're, long. No, you're right. So the, the question you have to ask, I guess, is in this spot at a mile, which is probably not his best distance. I mean, he probably wants to go a little farther than that off of this layoff and with this just brutal 14 post, do you think he can get the job done? And I do think he's really interesting. Me too. I actually liked him before I saw the draw because there's some Chad Brown stat floating around on Twitter. I can't remember exactly what it was, but off of 250 day layoffs and graded stakes, he's like 
some crazy high percentage. And I think he's like three for three in grade ones, if I remember. I mean, we saw what he did with Lady Eli. We saw what yeah. he did with bricks and mortar off the huge layoff. Chad wouldn't have this horse in here. No, he he's not fit. like he's not a getting derby fever, Breeders' Cup no. fever type of horse. This horse wouldn't be here if he wasn't ready to go. But you're right. Like the post is the killer for me, really, with yeah. him. Because if he was in the body of the field and he was and and I saw him at eight to one right before post. I might have a hard time not throwing him into like a pick four or something Agreed. like that. If this was the start of the late pick four, which is race eight, eight, nine, 10, 11. And he's like, but now I don't know from post 14, if he's like 10 or 12 to one, I, maybe I need a little bit more from out there, but it would, this would be an insane training job and everything would have to go perfect. It would be a great ride all coming together, which is possible. You just, you got to get rewarded for it. Right. Yeah, there's probably a price that he fits into this race for me. And eight to one is probably about what it was if you would have drawn something inside the 10 hole, maybe. Mm -hmm. But from that draw, I'll probably need better than eight to one. I mean, from a horizontal perspective, I mean, morning lines aren't really quite as relevant. It just depends on how long he's going to play. But he's a horse that if he wins this race, it's got to be the training job of the year by Chad Brown. Honestly, (laughs) this is like a unbelievable job on domestic spending. Let's talk about a couple of the others major players in here. So we have Ken Ross, who I'm expecting to take a good amount of money. This guy is really, really sharp right now. He has won four in a row. Um, all of them group stakes. He's a neck away from having won five consecutive group stakes races in a row, back to back group one wins. Only problem is, you know, those are sprinting. Um, this is going to be different from him. He has a mile win on the synthetic back in 2020, but he's never gone a mile against like legit horses like this. He has a couple at, he has a seven and a half or a seven and a quarter win and a couple pretty good races at like seven and seven plus, but now at a mile against some legit milers, what do you think about Ken Ross in here? Yeah, I think he's another one that was done no favors by the draw. Yep. And I think you bring up some good points about the, the distance for European horses that doesn't trip me up quite as badly no. as if it was an American horse. I think we all remember kind of what Space Blues did last year. And I'll admit, I bet against Space Blues. I'm like, ah, he only runs six furlongs or seven furlongs. And then th- the next thing you know, he just absolutely blows the door off. And visually, blows the doors off that field. Visually, he doesn't look like it will be any problem. He doesn't no. seem like a mile will be an issue. He's like traveling well in the outside group. He just made, made an early move for it last time. Like he doesn't seem like the mile will be a problem for him, but just at least worth mentioning for a horse who's probably going to be a shortage price in here. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's more about the fact that he hasn't always been this good. This is a five-year-old gelling that was, you know, a nice horse, but he, he wasn't this highly regarded, but all of a sudden he got really good this year. I know. And I'm not sure kind of where that came from. I'm not sure what, changes if any were made to bring that out it it does seem like some of those improved efforts have resonated with getting some soft turf in his last couple of starts that's very unlikely to be the case at the breeders cup this weekend as there's not really much rain in the forecast between now and saturday so for me with a pretty tough post for a horse that's likely going to get hung pretty wide on the stretch out on the two turns on the firmer turf there's just too many question marks for me to take him as the second choice and yeah. I'd be very surprised if he's anything longer than the second pick in this race. Yeah, I agree. I'm a little uh, cold on him as well. 
Let's kind of get to some of the other top contenders and see where we stand on them, positives, negatives. Let's hit uh, the three, who I thought is a, a bit interesting, Dream Loper, who is a horse who was cross-entered in a couple spots. She's a five-year-old mare. She was also entered in the Philly and Mare Turf, but she doesn't really want to go that far. So a mile, from a distance standpoint, seems like it's a much better distance for her. She was a freaky good winner last time out, uh, just a monster winner at Longchamp in a group one defeating order of Australia. And she was against Nashua who we're also going to see. Um, she's again, faced top, top company. Do you like her at all? Do you think she fits in this spot? I do think she fits in this spot and I do like her. She's one that'll be on some of those backup tickets behind modern games. I think mm-hmm. for me, me too, my, my hesitation is six to one feels a little bit bad. I agree. I was expecting to get more than the 10 to one, maybe totally agree. I thought 12, I expected her to pop at like 12 and maybe settle around like eight or so, but this feels a little shorter than I would want, like really want to take. Well, if I'm trying to beat modern games, right. If I'm including other horses than modern games, I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit more creative. I think than just second or maybe third choice like this, like this one, you know? Yeah. I think, I think you'll get better than six to one come post time because I do expect modern games to go off quite a bit shorter than seven to Me two too. in the morning line. Yeah. I think a horse like Annapolis and Ivar are likely to take a little bit of money. Um, so, so for me, I, I think you do get better. I think dream Loper floats up a little bit, but I do like her in here. I think once they figure it out, she's just really not a classic distance kind of horse and they cut her back to a mile. She's responded with some pretty nice efforts. I mean, she had a really good race last time out where she just buried order of Australia. I mean, that's maybe not the most, uh, proud accomplishment of a, a Breeders' Cup mile contender here, but Order of Australia did win this race a couple of years ago at a huge yeah. price. Uh, the Revenant, who ran third in there, came back to run second in a group two next time out. So that form isn't quite as bad as it may look on paper. Um, although that was the race, I believe, where Caribus unfortunately had a breakdown. So that yeah. was, um, it, it did take a little bit of the, the starch out of the form of that race a little bit. But Dream Loper at 10 to 1 or so is a horse that I would be interested in. Let's uh, talk about a horse that you mentioned a bit ago, um, Annapolis, who comes off of a, a big win in a lo- local prep at Keeneland, won a grade one last time out, is a three-year-old who is improving very much. He's never really run a bad race. It's funny because you know you dive into the two races where he's been defeated. One of them was against Nation's Pride, who is going to be uh, one of the top contenders in the Breeders' Cup turf, and then... The other one came to an incredible long shot in the Penn Mile, like an 88 to one shot. Of, <laughs> wow, what a summer when Annapolis just sort of loomed up. Like talk about the, the spectrum of your lot, your two losses being like a, a little bit different. But I mean, he, he's a very honest horse. Do you like him in this spot at all? Yeah, he's one I'm not sure what I really want to do with yet. I'm not bothered by his losses at all. The Penn Mile was ran just in an absolute swamp. The oh, yeah, course was, was just terrible. So uh, he just didn't handle the surface that well. And then at the Saratoga Derby, I mean, like you said, Nation's Pride is probably going to be a co-favorite for the Breeders' Cup turf. And I've always thought Annapolis looked more like a miler. I think we found mm-hmm. a mile in 316 is probably just a hair too far for him, especially at this point of his career. My, my concern with him is that I, I thought his turf mile last out at Keeneland was very good. I always love to see a horse with a win over the surface and at this trip. But my question was like, that's, he got a perfect trip that he did. Day. I mean, he saved all the ground. He was able to tip out late. I mean, just had a perfect trip. And 
he's very tactical. Horses like this have a way of making their own trip and can make a good trip. So I would expect him once again to get a good trip. But I, I guess I have a bit of a question because I expect him to be shorter than the 10 to one that we see in the book right now. And at a shorter price, he, he really only has that one race in the Keeneland turf mile that it's fits this on quality. figures. Yeah. That's he, this I mean, the other races are fine, but he's not really beating anything. And the figures no. kind of support that notion that. Most of those, uh, you know, Saratoga and Belmont races weren't the best quality. The last race is kind of the only race he has that I would say fits in here. And I'm always a little bit wary of backing horses that only have one race that make them a true contender when they're going to be in the top, you know, three or four, perhaps betting choices. Yeah. Price will dictate some of how I play him. I'm not tossing him out. I'm not, he's not like a probably run to the windows to bet, but I, he, you said, he might be a horse who, as he improves, just is able to work out that pretty good trip a lot of the time because of his running style. And maybe from out there, he doesn't have to get hooked all that wide because he can kind of sit pretty close. But it's hard. Like, if he's if he's not getting that trip, I don't want him closing with the Euros, right? Like, he's got to be getting the jump on them. That That's the whole novelty to playing him. Maybe he can get a couple length advantage on some of the deep, um, deeper closers who are going to be starting to wind up. So, you know, I think they'll try to get that trip again with him. Um, he'll be on some of my tickets. I, yeah, I seems we kind of feel similar about him. Not not really knocks, but kind of like make him prove it to me again, yeah. you know, at this level. And I, I agree. He might be one of the more fancied U.S. horses. Like He, he may get the money off of that, that local win. Um, let's talk about a couple others in here. We've been going from the outside in, so we're up to... Uh, Order of Australia, we mentioned he was behind Annapolis last time out. You think he can turn the tables or compete with this type of group? He, he surprised me once. Uh, if he does it again, then he'll have surprised me twice. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel the same. He's a nice horse, but he's very inconsistent. and You just, you just never know what kind of effort you're going to get from him. Um, I, I, he's going to have to prove it to me. We saw Malvath behind Kin Ross. I, I couldn't really make is like an excuse for that race, but Malavath does have some okay. I mean, overall some decent form, but I think he seems like he's a little bit better. She seems like she's a little bit better going shorter. Her mile races haven't been quite as good. Can you make a case or uh, any, anything positive for Malavath? So she's not one that I'm really interested in, but the one thing I will say for her is that I, my initial take was also, she's probably a sprinter, but then I went back and I watched her breeders cup juvenile turf race at a mile at Del Mar. And she came from way and out. She ran yeah. a great race. I she mean, had did. all sorts of trouble, a brutal post out in the parking lot. And she ran a great race, but my, my bigger question with her is that it just doesn't really feel like she's improved very much since then. Yep. She kind of no hit that wall and just sort of ran the same race over and over. And other horses seem to have just taken steps forward a little bit more than she has. So yeah. she's not one I'm really interested in. But if you think she can just thrive on this, you know, U.S. style two-turn mile, then you'll get a big prize. We have Regal Glory, who will be, you know, probably in the five-ish to one, six to one-ish range. She's six to one on the morning line for Chad Brown. She is a grade one winner multiple grade one winner. She comes off back-to-back runner-up efforts where she was your beaten favorite. She faced the boys in one of them. She was behind Casa Creed. We're going to see him in the Breeders' Cup turf sprint. And then she was behind Stablemate in Italian, who will actually maybe one of the favorites in the uh, the Philly and Mare turf because she has pretty wicked speed and she's tough to run down when she can get yeah. out front and clear. What do you think about Regal Glory? Yeah, so she's one that I can 
pretty easily toss as a sh- one of the shorter prices. I agree. I think I think she's taken advantage of what's really just been a very weak division for a long time. This kind of Philly and Mare turf mile division has really just been hurting for someone to show up. She's kind of inherited the title until somebody's until better horses have shown up. But I, I didn't like the way that she got passed by Casa Creed in the four star Dave, and then and the first lady. I mean, yeah, her stablemate looks pretty good, but this is a tougher race than that. And if she mm-hmm. couldn't reel in an Italian in that spot, I don't know how she's going to uh, beat this field. I agree with you. I, of the shorter price horses, I'm I'm cold on her. She won't be on any of my exotics. Regal Glory. Uh, Beyond Brilliant is a pace factor. She seems like, or he seems like he's got one way to go. It's just, it's hard for the Southern California horses. They're, the turf divisions aren't deep. Sometimes you can get horses at the top of the divisions that are good. But for the most part, we haven't really seen these the turf races like horses be really competitive smooth like straight was last year um when finished second but i don't know how good some of the races beyond brilliant are uh brilliant on brilliant comes out of when comparing them to to this company yeah she would be a big or she would be a big surprise for me in this spot yeah i could maybe see it if smooth like straight were to scratch but that's probably the only instance where i would give that horse any kind of a look yeah ivar What's nice about Ivar, I mean, he was third in the Breeders' Cup mile last year, and he was fourth two years back. He doesn't really run bad races, and he's faced good company. He has some pretty good speed figures, too, just in, in what it would take to compare with these. It's just watching that race against Modern Games when Modern Games just dusted him. Um, I do like the fact that Ivar has two races under his belt this year. He He's sort of been his own worst enemy because he... He has to have long layoffs. He only can run a couple times a year. Maybe he's, you know, he's capable of taking another step forward with that race under him. But I don't know. He's just in his last two races, he's been behind three of the rivals that he will face in this race. So he's going to have to turn the tables on all of them and step up. But man, he's been, he, he always, he outruns his odds in these Breeders' Cups. He's fired in both of them back to back years. He does. And I don't know that I think he can win this race necessarily, but he always shows up. Yeah. And I guess the one thing that maybe I, that keeps me considering him a little more is the jockey change. I think you're getting a pretty big upgrade going from Joe Talamo to uh, Javier Castellano. Uh, Castellano has really just had an incredible year all yes. around uh, this year. So I think that's that could move this horse up a little bit, but it, it's hard for me to envision this horse moving up enough to beat modern games after what we saw in the Woodbine Mile. Yeah, at 15 to 1, I have no problem in tries and supers. If yeah, you, definitely like, a board hitter. I could see yep. that for sure. On top's a little harder for me. Yeah, totally agree. I, I don't know if I could get him into a pick four, pick five tries for sure. Smooth like straight was your runner up last year, and he's just always a runner up nowadays. <laughs> you know, he's so for a while. I thought it was sometimes the way that they would ride him or like the tactics with him. I, I thought it was because sometimes they would go a little too slow for a speed horse like him, and they would let him sit off. But honestly, if he goes right to the front and tries to go a little faster and push the pace, he's so honest. He's going to fight with you. He's going to keep it close, but he just doesn't mind settling for a second when uh, one or two horses will come calling late. I mean, again, I don't mind if anyone wants to use him in some of their exotics and underneath spots, but what do you think about smooth like straight in here in a race where there's probably one or two other speeds? Yeah, I I can't put smooth like straight on top. And he's one of those horses that, there's maybe the less tangible elements of handicapping. Cause if you look at his, his speed figures, no matter what figures you look at, he fits in this race. Yep. But 
when a horse hasn't won since May of last year and has finished second or third and every start this year, there it's have not been one or two. It's like three or seven four starts. races where he was supposed to win those races. Yes. There was not very much other speed in those races. It was like a smaller field. He was kind of a class. He had a class edge on them. And for whatever reason, he, he finds ways to get beat, you know, and I don't, I don't know if this is the, the get right spot for a horse like that, you know, like, yeah, um, I think he goes off a big price and he's missed the try only three times in his life or excuse me. Uh, yeah. Three times in his life. So if you want to throw him in underneath, he sure. could be a sneaky key in the bottom of a try or exacta maybe, but even that I I'm sort of skeptical of this horse. Well, spot, and even, even hit the board like this year right now versus last year, you know, like last year, he came in like no issues, really nice form. Like he was in good fitness level this year. He's only run a few times and you know, he had a couple races and then he stopped and he had a few months off and then he ran it. <clears throat> he ran at Churchill on whatever that turf course was, <laughs> which it like, we haven't even seen it since then. So I don't know what to think of that. And so he, he just doesn't even quite feel like he's coming into the race this year as good as it was last year. Last year's race was also in Southern California where he had run well before and he'd run really well over that turf course. I just think there, he felt like he was trending better last year. I'm not saying that I played him, but he, I just felt better about his chances in there. And yeah, I'm underneath. Sure. He probably won't be on the win end for me. We, uh, we talked modern games. We talked dream loper. And then from the inside, we have uh, a couple long shots in Cheryl Spate. And then in the one, Pago, uh, any thoughts on uh, either of those two? You know, I'm going to have one ticket with Cheryl Spade on it. And this might be the longest shot in the field. This horse was never beating Modern Games last time out. I'm not going to make that argument. But did get steadied pretty bad, largely because of how fast Modern Games was coming around the turn. Like It almost looked like, uh, you know, Modern Games and uh, William Buick like lost control for a split second because his horse was going so fast. Cheryl Spite took the worst of that and did have to check into the turn, lost a lot of momentum. And I thought re-rallied nicely to mm-hmm. actually get up for fourth. If you realize the fact that Modern Games beat that field by five lengths, then you have less than two lengths that separates you know second from fourth there. So I don't think this horse is impossible. Maybe not no, a likely and, win candidate, but, but I don't think this horse is impossible. And it was so weird to me when he wins the maker's mark, the grade one going a mile at at Keeneland in April. And then he comes back and he's only, you know, three to one, he's seven to two in, in the turf classic at Churchill behind Santa Santine. Are we going with now? I was calling him Santin for a while. I think they they said Santine now, but um, in, in, you know, he, he regressed a little bit just on speed figures, but we talk about how that course was very quirky that was also going a mile and an eighth, which is probably farther than, than he wants anyways, because he just faded and tired down the stretch. What was weird to me, there was a race the same weekend of the Salvatore mile where he would have been like a heavy favorite on the turf. And they chose to go in that mile in the dirt race. That was just, I didn't understand. Yeah. He's got no dirt form anywhere. And he was coming yes. off of a couple grade ones where he ran pretty well. I didn't that, that just sort of threw me off him for a little while. I don't know why that happened. And he's absolutely capable of at least hitting the bottom of exotics here with one of his better races. It looked like he was starting to trend really like as a really nice miler before 
the weird race at Churchill, and then going back to the dirt. Yeah, I think he has legitimate excuses in each of his last four starts. And mm-hmm. if, if the best race of his career came at Keeneland at this trip where he won the Maker's Mark Mile uh, earlier at this year. 10 uh, to one, spring. nine and a half, 10 to one, you know? Yeah, off of the, was it 50 to one morning line, I think at the time? Yeah, that was that. <laughs> yes, yes, that was that. But, yeah, but yeah, excuses. Churchill, some of course, didn't handle it. Mile and eighth, maybe a little too far. Then they put him on dirt for whatever reason. Obviously not a dirt horse. Seven furlongs at Woodbine, a slow pace up front. He comes out, uh, you know, toward the back of the field. And seven furlongs, you know, one turn, probably on the short side of what he want, really wants to do. And then the Woodbine mile, he had some trouble and just found a horse that was clearly one better. But I'm not convinced that he wasn't second best in that field. Yeah. And this is going to be one of, if not the longest horses in the field. And I don't know that this horse can actually beat Modern Games. If Modern Games ra- runs the race that I know he can run, I don't know that anybody can beat him. But this horse, I think I will have underneath on some exactos and trifectas anyway. Yeah, I like that. Sheryl Spate, we talked uh, ourselves into an underneath big price there for Sheryl Spate. Yeah, I couldn't really get to... Uh, the, the reason why I had a, a tougher time with Pogo, his last few wins have all been right on the front end. Yes. And I have a tough time seeing him get that kind of a trip in here. So I don't, if that's where he's best and now he's going to have to come to the Breeders' Cup, he's not going to be fast enough to get the lead in a group like this with some legit milers. So I, yeah, I, I thought trip-wise, I couldn't I couldn't quite get there with him. That That's where I was on Pogo. I'm with you. I don't think, uh, his run style plus the draw, I think are going to work against him. He, he does like to be forwardly placed and it's extremely unlikely that he gets the lead here. And I, I just think there's there's better milers in this field than what we've seen Pogo do at seven furlongs. So he may be a pace factor, but he'd be a pretty big surprise on the win end for me. Caleb Knight, love talking out the races with you, my friend. Uh, hopefully we were able to help lead you to uh, some of you out there to uh, a winner or two, or maybe a horse to include underneath, or maybe just some some angles or some reasoning that you'll use somewhere down the line in, in another uh, another race sometime so overall i i feel like i can't play against modern games i'll probably play one or two tickets singled with modern games and then i'll play like another pick four i'd say where i use modern games along with a couple of the others some of those others for me would be um dream loper for sure um i i would throw in annapolis myself if it is one of those spread tickets where i am looking for a little bit of value and um no, no regal glory for sure. I, I wouldn't regal glory. Um, yeah, those are probably my other two alternates to kind of include with. I would be cold on regal glory. Ivar, I'm fine with underneath. Maybe we throw domestic spending in on one <laughs> crazy just in case uh, if they are eight to one. But modern games is going to be tough. And if this horse is like five to two or above, that actually might represent pretty nice value because um, I'd expect modern games to be shorter. You, you sounds like you think modern games is going to get hit pretty hard too, right? I do. I, it depends on the Kim Ross money that comes in, I think. Um, but I, I actually expect modern games to go off in the ballpark of two to one. I was going to say, I would not be shy. Nine to five, was eight to five. Yeah, no, I was going to say like, eight to five over. I wouldn't think yeah. less, but if you, if we saw sub two to one, I really wouldn't be shocked. Um, yeah. I don't think the average uh, American knows who Ken Ross is. And I don't think he's going to take quite that much money. His his form maybe would suggest that he should. (laughs) Even just for a little, like everything and all the reasoning for modern games to be favored is based on what this horse has done on the track. But people know the name too. 
because yes, of last everybody year. Everybody knows modern games. <laughs> right. So there's a little bit more buzz to this horror. Just everybody knows the name and everyone will tell the story. And we yeah. heard uh Robert Geller and uh, when he said it when Modern Games won at Woodbine, and you can bet on him this time, right? <laughs> or and you can cash your ticket at yes. the windows this time. So I'm sure everyone will have a, a fun take on that. Caleb, we will be following along with you and uh, all the great work you guys do over at On the Wrong Lead. So there'll be a, a Friday Breeders' Cup preview out and a Saturday Breeders' Cup preview out that we can check out on your YouTube and on social media. And uh, if anyone sees you out at the uh, at the track, go buy Caleb a drink, please. Go, That's uh, right. Go, Come say hi. Yeah, go, go say hello. Um, again, though, buddy, thank you. I always uh, always love talking races with you, really. Uh, you, you always kind of hit on one or two things that may not have been on my radar and uh, I really always appreciate the work that you put in. I know that some days are going to be good. Some days are going to be bad. But every day, you've always put in the work. You've always put in the time. And you have great reasoning. So love chatting races with you, man. Oh, thanks, Gino. It's always fun. Appreciate you having me on again. That's Caleb Knight. Make sure to give him a follow and check out all their great content over at On The Wrong Lead. And uh, yeah, give my friend Andrew a hard time. I know he's doing some more stuff with you over there, too. I love I love razzing him. He's oh, yeah. a great guy. So uh, Caleb and the, and the folks over there, they do great stuff. Thanks so much, folks, for hanging out with us for the Breeders' Cup Mile Chat. We'll turn the page and move along to race number nine on the Saturday card. So up next, we'll hit the distaff. Big thank you to Caleb for helping us out there with the Breeders' Cup Mile. As uh, we looked at this race, we both did feel like, you know, the, the Euro- some of the European horses in here are going to be pretty tough. Like Modern Games is going to take money, and he will be really, really tough with any type of trip. Dream Loper makes a lot of sense. I will use Annapolis probably a little more than Caleb will. I'm I'm thinking he might be able to sit a better trip, just the same type of trip he's been sitting. And, uh, you know, after that, where, uh, where else are you going in here? I'm, I'm very much with Caleb in that I'm against Regal Glory. I don't really like the chances of that mare all that much at what will probably be a shortish price in here. I, uh... Yeah, wasn't really all that intrigued by many more in here. Like, what do we do with uh, domestic spending and an Ivar? I could see them running well, but it'll be a lot of modern games, um, Dream Loper, and Annapolis for me in the Breeders' Cup mile. That's race number eight. We move to the final discussion on this episode. We're going to talk Breeders' Cup Distaff with Emily Gullickson. We actually have two different conversations about the Breeders' Cup Distaff. The first one will be here with Emily, and then on our following episode, we'll talk about the Breeders' Cup Distaff with Andrew Champagne, Darren Zocali, and then we also hit the Breeders' Cup Turf with Caitlin Free, and then we'll have two different discussions on the Breeders' Cup Classic. Emily joins me again to talk about the Classic on the, the next episode. And then we'll also have a, a discussion on the Classic with Barry Spears and Matt DeSantis. So we win in order of the Breeders' Cup races. We're up to nine right here. And we'll have our first discussion of the Distaff with Emily. If you're looking for the remaining Breeders' Cup races on part two of our Breeders' Cup Saturday show, we will finish up with another discussion on race number nine. We'll have a discussion on race 10 and then two different conversations on the big one, the main event, race number 11. Right now, from Optics EQ, one of the sharpest handicappers that you're going to meet out there, Emily Gullickson. 
We continue along on the Saturday Breeders' Cup card. We're up to race number nine. It's the Breeders' Cup Distaff. And we are very lucky to be joined by Emily Gullickson, one of our good friends talking horse racing. Emily joins us uh, a lot of times on these big days where we get to really dive into uh, the fields and uh, and really get to hear how sharp of a handicapper Emily is and kind of hear her process a little bit. If you don't know Emily, uh, she works with Optics EQ. Emily does a, a great job, and now she helps out the folks over at Hawthorne doing selections and analysis with them this year. Emily, on a week like this, I'm sure there's so much going on. Kind of run us through everything that you have uh, coming up this week. There is so much going on, and and I, I almost feel like I don't want to say it because it's so much that it overwhelms me. <laughs> I know, right? Because you're like, wait, okay, but yeah, you give yeah, us the like, main stuff, right? <laughs> all right, all right. So let's 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 break it down in the good way. So obviously, the Breeders' Cup—that's a big focus between doing shows like yours. Um, I did a couple videos for Hawthorne, focusing on the All Turf Pick Three, which is Friday, and then the All Turf Pick Four which is Saturday, as well as a classic, and then the um, Philly and Mare Sprint, which is a, both, you know, obviously we'll talk about the classic here, but the, the Philly and Mare Sprint, a deep race. And then the regular stuff that's going on, right? Like Woodbine, we've got Woodbine going, hashtag that Woodbine TV for all the race days, Thursday through Sunday. Um, Horseshoe, Indianapolis, I'm still going to say Indiana Grand. It's yeah, going to take forever. forever for me to get that out of my system. <laughs> um, but that's going Monday, Monday through Thursday um, for another couple weeks. And then Southern California going. So daily selections for both those videos on Twin Spires. Um, and then just kind of everything, everything in between. So, yes. In the Breeders' Cup, in the Breeders' Cup comes, that doesn't mean everything else stops, right? There's no, <laughs> no. there's no racing. <laughs> They're still racing at all the other places where you're you're doing daily stuff. So uh, if everybody needs any help there, Woodbine, uh, Hawthorne, Santa Anita, Emily will also be uh, helping out there. So if you follow her, um, she you can get all that great information and links and 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 references to uh, where all of her great work is. Make sure to check her out and give her a follow at Emily Optics EQ on Twitter, and you'll uh, and you'll be able to get uh, you'll be able to get all that great stuff. So Emily, are you are you handicapped and uh, and and ready at this point? You and I are talking like Wednesday morning, so we're still a, a few days out. Give a give me like kind of your overall thought on on what you've looked at so far on the the Friday Saturday. Um, I've looked at all the races so far. Um, I have I'm not doing full card this year um, as far as like picks for sale, but I have looked at all the races. Um, obviously, those races for the video I've done um, kind of more of a a deep dive in them, but. Looks like good races, good competitive races. I mean, it's not, it's tricky in the sense that you have, um, you have these favorites that, that aren't necessarily vulnerable, but they're also not necessarily super strong, right? Mm -hmm. So, so then it's, it really is going to come down to getting creative, getting lucky, you know, kind of picking your spots, maybe even being a little bit flexible. I know a lot of people like to go into these races and they like have their picks and they're set in stone and they've made their picks even like weeks in advance. And, uh, you know, especially with Keeneland, which we've seen um, the last time the Breeders' Cup was here, that Friday was like very speed favoring. And then Saturday, they the track evened out. So being able to kind of adjust, being able to always as horse players, you know, adjust to the board because you, you do have these competitive races and, you know, you might have had that horse that you've fallen in love with, but all of a sudden it's a price that's just not acceptable. You have to make, you know, you got to kind of make that switch or be able to kind of shift or, or look at the wager in like a different way. Um, and, and, you know, all those scenarios. So I think 
from that perspective, it does make it it does make it interesting. Um, it's favorites I'll be trying to take on. So whether they win or lose, or or make or break my weekend. Yeah, this is a, a time when the prices that you'll get are a little bit better than normal. Just demand prices, right? Demand a little bit of value with your opinions here. Don't feel like uh, you need to take shorter value than what you uh, what you like. And good luck to everyone this week. It's a fun one. Let's hope that we can help you uh, lead you in the right direction a few times. Let's dive into the Distaff race number nine on Saturday. And now the two races that we're going to talk about for the Distaff and the Classic, they're not the biggest fields we are going to see all weekend, but they're quality. In in particular, you know, this this distaff here is pretty pretty deep where you you get a nice combination of the really good older horses that have been strong for the last year, year and a half. And then, you know, a horse like Nest and a couple of the other three year olds who have peaked a little more towards the end of the year. Um it's a nice little combination of both in a field like this we can go through um Horse by horse and starting in the distaff You have the one Malathat Who's done so little wrong In her career now She, her and, and Clarier Had a, a nice rivalry Going earlier in the year They seemed like they were kind of moving towards the top Of the division and then it looked like Clarier Kind of had the better of her When she got her in, in the Ogden Phipps And then Clarier got the better of Malathat in the Shuvie, then some. Thing went a little amiss for Clarier in the personal ensign. She was banging around. She had an issue, um, and now Malifat kind of took the stranglehold of the the division in the last couple races with the back to back Grade One wins. She's pretty versatile here, um, and the inside draw. What do you think about Malifat? Three to one second choice on the morning line. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, uh, I kind of want to just back up back up a little bit as far as like covering like the distep and the classic because and I'll apologize too because sort of the way I'm looking at these Please. races is is actually pretty similar, right? Like it's a similar approach because mm-hmm. you have um as you kind of set it up as far as like the three-year-olds versus the older and um and then just the way the race shapes kind of sh- set up is is so similar as well. So yeah, I mean, both those horses, it's like Malathat and Clarier, they could certainly win because, as you mentioned, in terms of them as individuals, they can check all the boxes. They're proven at the distance. They're proven in grade one races. They've run fast enough speed figures. But you, you kind of have to, you know, for both those horses as individuals that can win, how are they going to sit in today's race shape, right? So, like, Clarier, for example... Um, I know myself, and I think you did too. I'm trying to remember, uh, trying to remember all the horses plus everybody's picks. But you know, the Breeders' Cup last year just really set up for Clarier. It looked like that mm-hmm. very fast pace, and mm-hmm. you know, and and I still to this day I think Clarier could have won, should have won, ran the best race. Doesn't matter. The race is over. But you know, it's like not, it's not as set up for her this year. She could still win, but it doesn't set up for her as well. Then as far as Malathat, she she does have the inside, as you mentioned. She kind of has some tactical speed. She's kind of one of those horses that's able to put herself kind of into the race, which has mm-hmm. helped her get those recent wins. Um, and then, you know, obviously, Clarier not showing up in the personal ensign for whatever reason that's, that kind of set her off that day. But, you know, as far as Malathat, she's just not uh, she's just not overly exciting. She kind of either gets that good trip or she doesn't, you know, and that's and that's kind of where where she is. So for both those horses, I could see them winning, but in terms of their odds, they just, neither of them excite me at the three to one, four to one, um, given their kind of individual plus the way the race shape sets up. 
Malathad and Clarier. Um, yeah, they've they're two two of the older, two of the four year olds who have been very very consistent. They'll be major players in here, and we can kind of you know talk about the two of them together, as you said. Yeah, I was with you with Clarier last year also, and and I agree with you. She absolutely still could win. There are versions of this race where there are a couple that go quick and and put the pressure on each other and it sets up for her. But last year on paper was the race where it really just looked like they were going to be cooking up front and they were. And so that race did set up exactly how it looked. But but like you said, it, it, she very easily could have won that race with the setup. Um, but again, just, just mentioning everything we can about as, as many of these horses as possible. She did on paper have what looked like a more beneficial trip last year. And for whatever reason, even trouble couldn't get the job done. Right, right. Um, yeah, and so again, it just as far as as far as Clary, it does it does come into value. I'm, I'm can excuse the last race that doesn't bother me at all. Me, not uh, either. You know, yeah. she's run well off the layoff, so all those all those things. But but again, you know, it, it's it's going to come down to race shape and trip in this race. Let's get to the number two, Blue Stripe. She's a really honest mare. Um, it's just a kind of a tough spot for her. She ran well a couple times in Southern California here, but we haven't seen her run since August. So she comes into this race fresh, which looks like the way that they've tried to handle her in a lot of her races because she's a five-year-old mare who's only run 10 times. She came here last year in the distaff off about a five-month layoff. She was 50-plus to one and just didn't really fire her races in Southern California are good. I mean, she beat She Dares the Devil last time, but she still hasn't really been competitive with some of the top, top horses in here. She hasn't really run figures or fast enough to compete with them. What do you think about Blue Stripe? You know, I give her, I do give her a long shot look in here because I, going back to what I was saying, as far as, as far as the race shape and the way that it sets up, is she, you know, she has the right running style. She's tactical. She can finish. She has class. She's shown that she can dig in and grit. And then going back to last year, I mean, that was just such a tough task because she was coming off the layoff as her first start in the U.S. And I noted, I'm like, whoa, she's, she looks incredible. Like I, and I was trying to go back through and I, I didn't get it get enough time to do it just like right as you called I was trying to like go through my notes and follow how she was working leading into that but that race like it caught my eye just the fact of like her physical appearance and I'm like she's a classy mare like there's mm-hmm. there's something there's something there right there's a reason why she's in and then there's a reason why she's performed so well this year so she has the right running style she's progressed as far as optics figures uh running 297s in both the um Santa Margarita and Santa Maria, and then ran a 104 in the Clement Hirsch. So she's on that progressive pattern. I mean, her 104, as far as optics figures, is not far off the 105, 106, which is the high for for Malathat, with one of those being at Del Mar. So you kind of have that, you know, that sort of side by side. So I see her as, you know, as fast and can get the right trip um, and the numbers appealing. Blue stripe at a price uh, with a, a possibility here as we continue along to Secret Oath, your Kentucky Oaks winner. This three-year-old filly was very good early on in the, the year. She ran in the Arkansas Derby against the boys. She had some trouble that day. She was your winner of the Oaks. She took on the boys again in the Preakness. And since then, she's been a little disappointing. She just hasn't really progressed. And you look at her and Nest – and they kind of came into the Oaks similar in in their, you know, kind of their form at that time, a lot of their speed figures and stuff. And then Nest has really progressed 
throughout the second half of the year. Secret Oath hasn't really gotten faster, and she's kind of become a little grindier. Um, where she used to have a, a, a better turn of a foot. She's fifteen to one in here. She comes off of. Three straight defeats against three-year-olds Now she'll have to step up and face some of the older In here too um, What do you think about Secret Oath and her chances here? Yeah, I mean I I, I actually give her a look as well I mean as far as you mentioned Not, not in, improving this year I can't argue with that if we're just looking at raw figures but there's but in terms of context these weren't really races where she was set up she has mm-hmm. some distance limitations even nine furlongs is probably not her ideal but it's something she's obviously capable of under the right conditions as she's won the Kentucky Oaks but you know coming off the layoff going nine furlongs at Saratoga wasn't the right race didn't set up for her um and as far as trip I think she got a lot out of that because it kind of took her out of her run style, getting into kind of a, a middle part duel. And then she she actually improved 10 points going 10 furlongs, which if, you know, nine furlongs isn't her game, it's certainly not going to be 10. So the fact that she improved there and then as far as the cotillion, and we'll talk about this when we get to society, because I think she's going to play a major role in this race. Um, society just spaced out the field, which just creates kind of that extreme race shape. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so secret oath, not really in the spots where she's kind of been meant to win. Whether this is the spot remains to be seen, but at least she's going to be uh, a bigger number. A great than she's been, You know, throughout all season long and could just be the right track for her because it doesn't have that super long stretch. Right. So when you have a horse that kind of has those distance limitations and sort of can put herself in the race and then makes that move. Um, and there's a scenario where she, if she is sitting a, on her best effort, point. And getting the right trip, this could be her. This could be her day on the right track. That's a great point. Like she has been making that loom up kind of move and then flatten out a little bit. You're right, and that may work pretty well here if she can just get it timed the right way. And you're going to be getting a very nice price on Secret Oath, as uh, we talked a good amount about Clarier and. You know, with her, she's super, super honest. She just doesn't have as much early speed as a lot of her rivals. So in in some of the smaller fields, she's up against it in here and she spots them. I'm with you. Just put a line through the personal ensign. We found out that she was bumping around. It ended up really impacting her because she did not come back and run in the next prep race. So, I I mean, I don't mind her being fresh or anything. For her, it it just more so comes down to the setup she gets with her running style. She's kind of at the mercy of... Of race shape, yeah, yeah, and then and then you you just you got to figure the the morning line odds. I mean, she's just not a play for me at four to one. Um, if she's double that, I'm gonna you know start bringing her back into the fold. But you know, we'll we'll see. It'll be interesting how how this race is bet. And you know, um, with Ness, obviously, we're we're almost there. Uh, likely to be favored. The number five awake at midnight comes in from Southern California. I liked her in her spot last time in the Zenyatta. She she came off a really nice uh, September 4th kind of prep at Del Mar. She was off for a few months. She won going six and a half. And, um, and she ran into a, a filly named Midnight Memories. That was a smaller field there. You know, I just felt like that was kind of the race where I liked her in that spot. This is definitely a much tougher spot. They give her a, a chance in here, a third start off the bench. Can she make any noise? Uh, I, you know, I don't see it. I mean, she, yeah. her fastest race was that Del Mar race at the sprint at one turn. And then you could even kind of say the same thing that she paired up numbers going one turn at Santa Anita at seven furlongs and the Santa Inez, even though she finished second that day. Um, she just doesn't have a race that's fast enough. 
Uh, she doesn't have her, her two-turn races are certainly not fast enough by, by any stretch. I don't even know if she's fast enough to make the lead. That's what we were... Or- or we're totally, ta- to talking about that yesterday, like, can she even get in no, front of a horse like I, society or press that? No, one? no, no shot. She's got no shot to get in front of society. I don't even. So it's like, I don't even know if she's got a chance to get in front of Nest. And yeah. then it's like, and then I, I, you know, I don't know where she goes from there. It's definitely not forward. So yeah, because it's, it, she's in a race like this to try to get in front of some of these others. You don't want to be sitting there trying to close with them. And I don't even know if on, on paper she can do that. You know, O'Neill and Redham, they take shots all the time. So they throw her in here because there are so many other horses that they had on the van. And, you know, she she's only in a field of eight, right? Things things not that many things would have to go weird for her to actually pick up a like a, a slice because it's not the hugest field in the world, but I can't get there on paper as far as no, just no, I mean, it, yeah, it, even if she's gonna finish, you know, yeah, you it's like anybody could run fourth, you know, whatever. Sure. Um, yep. but you know, to make a case for her as, as a win contender, there's it's just it's not there no. for me. I, you know, a tough task. Nest, the number six, nine to five morning line favorite, comes off of three monster victories. Nest faced the boys in the Belmont earlier this year when finishing second, and then uh, has taken a big step forward, getting these kind of front running victories almost in, in three consecutive races where she's shown uh, more positional speed in them. And, you know, when you watch her run and based on the breeding, she can go all day and, and run all day long. Talk to us about the morning line favorite. In the distaff nest, yeah. So this is this is where I'm going to kind of compare it compare it to the classic. Not you know nest and flightlight is comparing them as individuals, but where they fit in in terms of this race, right? Because mm-hmm. when you're looking at this race, I mean, she is the clear cut horse to beat, 100. You know, she's like she's checked all those boxes that you mentioned. Um, those are the factors that, you know, make her the horse to beat. She has that tactical speed. She's got finishing ability. She's proven at the distance. She's proven at the class. She's, you know, in form right now. Maybe you could make a little case that, you know, she's running back on less than 30 days and, you know, whatever, but she's done that in the past, whatever she's, you know, all those factors make sense. It's the race they're pointing to, um, all those things. Is she a little bit too obvious? You know, maybe like, it kind of feels Mm -hmm. like that to me. Like it's, is it just that, is it just that simple? Now the trip is interesting. And this is another kind of like, once we get into the classic and we start kind of dissecting like where, you know, where flight line is going to be, because as we mentioned with awake at midnight, she's not fast enough to go with society. So who does go with society? I don't think even search results isn't fast enough. Does Nest have to go with society? And have to be in kind of a different position than she's been where she's been getting these soft trips. Now she has to kind of play chase mode. And and not even, yeah, in chase mode, but in potentially a very fast chase mode because Mm -hmm. society is sending and capable of doing like sprint-like fractions. So... Ness all of a sudden having to do sprint like fractions to keep up with her, which is, you know, like I said, we're going to talk about this with flight line. Oh, you know, does that, does that impact her? Right. Because now she's also going to be having to face older and probably yeah. the two or three best other horses she's ever faced in her life. Absolutely. At Absolutely. the same time, yeah. which is exactly what flight line is going to have to do. Yep. You know, like they're going to be facing it on the front end and from behind. Correct. 
So it's it's not like oh we get one other speed rival we can put them away and there's not really strong closers. She's gonna have to be working hard the entire time throughout. Right, right. With with you know society of the race and then these other horses that you know we mentioned you know Malathat's right there, search results are right there. Um, that want to be kind of one two lengths off. That's sort of where they tend to do their best running. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's. It's very, it's very interesting from that perspective as far as, you know, where Ness is going to be. And she's going to be a heavy favorite because as an individual, she stands out in this field and can, yep. certainly, can certainly win this race. Absolutely. I, I love the comparison there because it felt very similar with a horse like this who's been freaky good. but And, and maybe they are so good right now, Nest and Flight Line, that they can deal with more. That they haven't really had been asked for in their last few And they can they can check that box They can pass the test But the question is Do you want to take a very short price Asking those questions While they're having to deal with the toughest they've ever faced That Kind of just simple when you, when you set it up that way Nest tons of ability But hooking a good field here And then like right next door I, We were talking yesterday with uh I think with Darren about I was talking with Darren about this race and search results. Like I truly feel bad for this Philly search results. She's ran a couple races this year where they were bang up races. She did I think like everything she could to try to get the better of Malafat and Clarier. She sat the trip. She put away Latruska. She got the jump on them. It seemed like two times in a row she ran the same race in the Phipps and the personal ensign, like running so well, doing the dirty work, getting the jump. I just don't, and and she couldn't seal the deal there. It feels like one day she'll just sort of earn it because I respect her and how hard she's, you know, how hard she works all the time. And and one of these days it might be hers. Can she get the better of a field like this? Search results. Yeah, I mean, for her, I I, I don't think she's better than any of these other horses. Um, as you mentioned, like I don't think she's classier than Malatha and Clarier. I think they're two better horses. Is she able to just kind of like be in the right place and right time, sort of where this racetrack does kind of give her the edge over those two and her running style kind of gives her the edge of the two and the race shape gives her the edge of those two. Um, you know, those things could come together because she's not, she's not the best horse in the race. Uh, she's also one that's like not a great price either at nine to two, you know, yes. um, that's the, the, Maybe she floats up, you know, because, you know, again, it's going to all depend on how much action Ness takes and like where, you know, where they gravitate to, because I would imagine, you know, now that's probably going to be the second choice, but, you know, where search results and Clarier are, um, and even society, you know, people could, could gravitate there um, with some action. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's really it as far as search results is she's, She's probably not the best horse in this race. And when you're dealing with not the best horse in the race, you're going to have to get price compensation. That's that's the key, right? You really want to be rewarded for that because she's not going to be able to overcome things and win this race, right? She she could fall into a nice trip yep. and, and, and that's sort of how we're playing it. So yep. I agree with you. Like nine to two just on the morning line feels a little short. If she was up in like the like eight to one, that that feels a lot, like a lot better for her with her chances, and I would want to to include her a little bit more there because I just keep playing those races out in my head too. Or like 
gosh, he did everything right. But I agree with your uh, with your point in that this track with her move. The way she launches could actually set up pretty well for her with that short move, getting the jump on some of the others. It's just does the price entice you enough to use size result uh, to use um, search results as we shift to society on the outside? Very uh, fast Philly here, Emily, and she will you know dictate the race here. She's won four of uh, she's won five of her six, and the only race where she didn't win, she actually faced Nest and Secret Oath in the CCA Oaks. And she took a, a couple really kind of bad strides out of the gate. It looks like she would kind of she was stuck in the the ground a little bit. Like she just couldn't get out of the deep ground. And then she got sent up the rail. She ran into traffic. It's just kind of a toss race because she she didn't get the yeah. lead like she normally needs to in these races. How we could engage her, and she did in the Oaks at Charlestown in the Cotillion. Talk to us about the Fast Philly Society. Yeah, I mean, she's she's the she's the life is good in this field, right? Yep. They're sending they're sending to the front. They're gonna they're gonna try to wire this field. Um, that's what they did. That's what they've done the last two races. That's where she was most effective um, at parks. I mean, she spaced out that field. She ran a massive race. She ran a top speed figure that day. Um, so it is it's a big class test for her. But that's you know that's the strategy. Uh, she's another one. I don't think she's as good you do have to kind of put into consideration um if she's going to get better or even just pair up numbers which is tough to do for you know a three-year-old even though she's had 42 days she'd have to kind of get the same scenario the same type of racetrack um follow how Keeneland's playing you know all those things but again like I mentioned her presence in this race really is uh, is interesting for for next. I love it I love it. Yeah. Like I, I'm just just having a speed horse like her in the race makes it fun, you know. Yeah. I, I, I from a handicapping standpoint, and then the same kind of question with her. Like we've asked with we asked with Nest and some of the others. You know, she's going to be on the lead, but there are going to be a couple other horses kind of pressing and chasing her that are a lot more quality than she's had. If if Nest isn't too far behind her, if you know search results isn't all that far behind her. Um, they'll they'll probably be making her work. Um, at, at least these are real quality foes that are going to be breathing down her neck. Who knows how? Well, close that's that, yeah. That's See, be, that's right? the thing is, I don't I don't necessarily I don't think the strategy is to have those horses breathing down her neck. It's, it's I think the not strategy, right for them. I think the strategy is to send her pedal to the metal, <laughs> get out in front, and go as far as you can as fast as you can. Um, which, uh, you know, I mean, if they do, if they do try to like rate her, I mean, who knows, she's in trouble. Could, but yeah, then no, that's not going to work. Got, then she's got no shot. No. But I've, I, you know, I've heard Steve Asmussen in one of the, the comments and one of the interviews that, that they're sending and they're going to, yes. you know, and that's, and that's their thing. They're going to go and, and honestly, that helps feel this race. Well, yeah. that helps both of his horses too. Right. Cause that helps Clarier too. If there's an honest pace, if there's insured to be quick fractions that she's going to set well, and then it, I guess I guess it it helps ensure that he, one or two one of the two of his horses gets the trip I guess because if society clears that's great for Asmussen if for some reason these other horses like we're saying end up doing thinking a we have to put some pressure on society it probably is what brings Clarier back into the race so I think just her her pressing that button Helps both of her horses one way or the, both of their horses, I think, in a weird way, one way or the other. But then, you know, if she clears, Clarier might get really strung out and not have 
pace to run that's, at. That's that's the that's the it's the the other scenario is it's you have to be careful because a fast pace for a you know a deep closer now Clary doesn't have to necessarily be a deep closer but if they go super super fast she's almost a deep closer by default mm -hmm. and that's kind of one of the things that sort of got her beat in the distaff because she was yep. so 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 far back and the races where she has been a little bit closer to the pace it hasn't been as fast. So she's able to kind of get that more bunched up scenario to, to close at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it could, but it, it, it would depend on how the other riders mm -hmm. ride. You yeah. Know? Cause how, yeah. how society is handled in this race will really shape up, you know, the, like that next tier of horses behind and, and how they stack up with a, a possible nest, possible, you know, search results, in that flight, those are probably the the you know awake at midnight and and those other two in that next grouping of three. But like we said, I, we just don't really know. It's hard with awake at midnight. She's not quite as classy as the other two. Um, yeah, as we we've talked this race out a little bit. If tell us how you know you're looking at it right now, uh, a few days out and thinking about playing it. Yeah, I mean, the two horses that I just kind of have to use are uh, Blue Stripe and Secret Oath uh, because they, they offer the value. I don't see them that far off. Some of these other horses, just as individuals, could get the right trip, could be overlooked, all those factors. Um, and, you know, how, how I structure them, um, obviously, they'll be on, like, the multi-race sequences and playing the race in running, whether it's, you know, exact as with Nest or, you know, whatever. We'll just really depend on on the board at that point, because I'll be able to look at, you know, the exact is and, and the board and, you know, how the track is playing and things like that. But those, those are those two I'm, I'm using as well. Uh, Nest, I'm, I'm not against, but the other ones probably won't be on multi-race tickets just because, you know, you're kind of expecting them to be what they are on the morning it, line in those sequences. A yeah. fun renewal of the distaff. I love when we can get a, a, you know, some of the older like this. A good group of the uh, older versus a couple strong three-year-olds here. You have in uh, in Nest and Society Secret Oath, your Kentucky Oaks winner, proven three-year-old here, and uh, and then the elders. You know, you have Clarier and Malafat and Search Results who have been really, really strong. Blue Stripe flying under the radar. She ran three super nice races this year. Um, there. This doesn't feel like there's anyone missing from this race, right? You could have a couple other fillers in here, but from a quality standpoint, it feels like in the classic, all the top fillies and mares that that kind of should be in here are in here. Absolutely. 100%. That is race number nine, the Breeders' Cup Distaff on Saturday. Big thank you to Emily for helping us out with the distaff. So, yeah, Emily dishing out a couple of prices that she thinks fits in here. What well, looks like a really fun, contentious race. I think I'm a little higher on Clarier, and I'm, I'm willing to give her more of a shot. Um, Society definitely will be on, on some of my exotic tickets there. And, you know, those two, I'll probably give Malathon a little more of a look. I'm not, I just, you know, I'm not quite as enamored overall with Nest. Love that Emily gives us a couple prices. They weren't necessarily horses that uh, were on my radar, but she thinks some of them fit in here. So that is our first discussion on the distaff. Following this, on our next episode, we'll talk Breeders' Cup distaff with Andrew Champagne and with Darren Zocali. We'll also talk Breeders' Cup turf, race number 10, with Caitlin Free. 
We will get into race number 11, the main event, the Breeders' Cup Classic. Emily joins us again to talk about that race, horse by horse. And we talk about the Breeders' Cup Classic with Matt DeSantis and Barry Spears. So you'll get a couple different conversations on the Distaff and on the Classic. And then we always have a different guest joining us for each of these Breeders' Cup races. Good luck on the uh, the first part of the Saturday card. Now we're going to head on over to the second portion of the Saturday card. Let's get into races 9, 10, and 11 on the Breeders' Cup Preview Show Part 2.